0: Roll! We're here! Hello! Hello! La la la. So the choice is between doing the voice and... and not doing dating, the voice. Or ...dating you. Yes. Can you make that decision? Yes. What is it? I don't know. I don't
1: know. Um, welcome all. It's Wednesday Night Generational Change. I'm Jen.
0: I'm Peter. And we have a returning guest and a brand new guest tonight. So it's going to be interesting. uh, fun fun yes it is very very fun and of course it is the middle of the week and there always seems to be something ridiculous happening Uh, of course if you guys have not seen uh, we will be talking uh with good politic guy a little bit later we're going to be talking about the importance of labor power and how the teamsters seem to be like the last bastion of those that actually have the balls to stand up to corporate tyrants uh, including a guy who somehow just made it into the U.S. Senate and thinks he's, uh, you
1: know. I watched that. Money. It was absurd. And he's sitting there saying how much money he made, which by the way, that was fact checked. that he is so full of shit. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> he was, he came from next to nothing. Yeah, his dad gave him a business, just like a, an already existing business. I wouldn't call that starting with nothing. That is how you start the night right.
0: I would definitely agree. Thank
1: you, double K. Yeah, his dad like handed him um a tool, a tool store, like a, you know, a company, but like a solvent company. If somebody hands you a solvent company, you are not starting from nothing.
0: Listen, when I started out in business, my <laughs> father gave me a very small loan of a million dollars. It was very small.
1: Not yeah, too much. whatever. I it
0: off right. So tonight we are going to have a wonderful guest come on. But first we are going to prelude the introduction of our guest with a trailer that you all are going to see. There is a new movie coming out on Hulu. On March 17th, which is Hulu. exactly a week from Hulu. Friday. So on next Friday, you guys who are not subscribed to Hulu, make sure you get that subscription. Although I think they offer trials. I am per, oh, per well, Dope, dope Sick. Yes, that is that was how. I, is that absolutely. was when I got like right. wrangled into great.
1: Hulu. It wasn't Handmaid's Tale. They couldn't get me in then. But if they're Dope Sick, they wrangled me into Hulu. For
0: those of you who are not familiar with the story of the Boston Strangler, of course, that is... Um, uh, quite a bit of uh, interesting history. 60s. Uh, probably the, well, it's the Boston version of what I would consider to be the Jack the Ripper story because this is just how. Or it's a the, serial killer. Or the forty-four caliber killer in New York. So.
1: It's a serial killer. Uh,
0: yes, a very devastatingly violent. And
1: That's by crime. definition, a serial killer is violent. I'm going to go right. with that. So
0: we're going to show you the trailer now. So okay, guys. On, here we go.
1: The city is for some glamorous, stimulating, prosperous. Only recently has it become dangerous.
2: Jack, I think I found something. Three women were strangled over the last two weeks.
3: You're on the lifestyle desk. You're not
2: covering a homicide. I think the murders are connected another woman was strangled just came over the wire
0: i'm killing the follow-up you don't have a story
3: how many women have to die before it's a story
0: they just confirmed number four police aren't talking never seen them this tight-lipped about anything i don't care if it's one killer or four we're gonna catch whoever did boston police hands on the wall we had him we just let him walk away
1: everything lines up with him. His history, the progression of the crimes, everything.
0: You know how many people I've gone down the rabbit hole with? It's a dead end every time with this case. What do you think you're gonna find out there? When is this gonna stop, Loretta?
2: I need you to call in a favor. Be quick. I don't wanna get fired tonight. Any lawyer worth
3: a dime would pick this apart you really want to use this paper to tear down the police department. If anyone else was blowing it this badly, we'd have put it on the front
2: page a long time ago. I need you to take down an address. If I don't call back in an hour, give it to the police. Loretta,
1: there's more than one lunatic out there and you're going to get us both
0: killed.
3: A safe little world is just delusion.
1: All right, we need to bring Bob on because I need to make sure he is not, in fact, the Boston Strangler. I, I highly doubt it. Because that would definitely not be good for me to watch. He's a
0: co-star in the okay. Boston Strangler. You know him from Law and Order SVU. You know him from many a Hollywood pictures of yesteryear. And of course, he is a New York City firefighter. So without further ado, welcome back, Robert John Burke to Generational Change.
1: You're muted. muted. <laughs>
3: I'm looking, uh, how how are you guys? Good to see you.
1: (laughs) Good, how are you? Uh,
3: Well, doing well, doing well.
1: So this looks really interesting, creepy and interesting. You're not the Boston Strangler, right? I mean, that's not like a spoiler thing, right?
3: For all intents and purposes, I am not the Boston Strangler. Okay,
1: okay, okay. Just making sure, because that would be hard to watch. So talk about, this is really interesting. I mean, it definitely has this kind of like eerie vibe to it. but it's not, it's a, is it a, it's a thriller, but is historical. Is that, that's what it seems like to me.
3: That's exactly right. It is uh, very historical. It's, it's pretty much what happened. The Tony Curtis, uh, you know, uh, film version was not what happened. Um, there was a female reporter named Loretta McLaughlin, uh, in the words of the Boston PD, she gave us everything, Bob, you know, and um, she was a reporter, erstwhile on the living desk, toaster ovens, washer, you know, and she wanted to be a crime reporter. And this was the case she broke in on. And um, historically, factually, helped the Boston Police Department kind of solve the case because it's still an open case.
1: That's a, like that's something that I've always heard of, the Boston Strangler, like some sort of legend. I mean, I knew it was a real thing. Yeah. It isn't something that... We, you know, certainly it wasn't in my lifetime. So, you know, me, we were much more of like the Dahmer, Bundy, uh, Gacy group, you know what I mean? So this was sort of like before me. Um, And I don't, and I really didn't have any idea that this was not a solved case. Like I just figured that was a person, like any of the, like that that was a done deal.
3: Yeah, you find out through the film that there's no way, given the absolute evidence and facts that this one man, Albert DeSalvo, who confessed uh, to all of the killings? There's no possible way. And then you do you find out factually, evidentially, um, what could have happened and who it could have been, and that it could have been an amalgam of uh, you know a cabal of, of of a few different suspects who who perpetrated this crime. <clears throat> um, the tenor of which, you know, I remember a little bit like when we were kids when we go behind somebody we squeeze the neck you go boston strangler you know because you didn't know what it was but that's what you said um and uh uh but when you get into it read the horror of um you know a serial killer at that time in boston and you know police departments throughout the country were not prepared for this type of investigation had not seen these types of um you know uh killings and crime and uh uh so they were in over their head you know through no fault of their own but it was loretta who um marshaled you know forces of you know forensic psychologists and and all other you know avenues of investigation to to try and solve it because she was a woman herself you know going out you know leaving her family to be a reporter and yet you know she was she was uh, vulnerable herself
1: okay we're going to put on detective helmets for a second because you know you, you you've played a cop and I, I, I pretend, but I was looking at the people that were the victims. There's like 13 women, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, The mm -hmm. victimology is all over the place. I mean, the age range is all over the place. Like, it's just, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense. And you could totally see how somebody would confess to more. Once you're already confessing, sure. What's some more? It just, you know, I mean, that makes sense to me.
3: You can see in like the first four victims, they look alike, you know, and then all of a sudden there's this departure from uh, a type Um, so yeah and then there's time and placement and he couldn't have done it because he was incarcerated at the time and you know all these um, uh, mixed um, uh, elements but you know I'm hoping like the script when we read the script it was just super super suspenseful I, I got a feeling I haven't seen the film yet but you know I'm hoping that it translates to the screens which I think it will Matt Ruskin director phenomenal Kieran Knightley, what can you say? You know Carrie Coon, Chris Cooper, um, Alessandro. Uh, you know, just phenomenal people to uh, to work with.
1: Very professional, like very profe- like very like very thespian professional people. You know what I mean? Like, real. It seems well, grounded
3: different. with gravitas. You know, actors. Um, yeah, I think that's what you want when you're, you know, doing something um, like a hyper realistic period. You know, um, there's no shtick here. You know, we got to find this guy, find him quick. I play a the head of a uh, newspaper, the executive director. I just uh, re- essentially represent the establishment, and you will not use this paper to, you know, further this investigation or or mess with the Boston Police Department's investigation. I'm just so guarded in my little, uh, fiefdom of the of the um, establishment. Um, so that's essentially what I'm doing. There.
1: You're the man, is what you're saying. Is you're playing the man?
3: No, no, no. I'm I'm not a detective. I'm not i I'm the head of a newspaper.
1: Right. No, no, no. Just in general, like the. Oh, like, a man. Like yes, working you're working for the man. Like you're playing that when you say I'm establishment. That's president. what I think about. Like that's yes. that's you, Bob. can you talk exactly.
0: about what it's like, you know, being on you know films of yesteryear, even when you think about a film like Limitless, and obviously he's not this, that old. I.
1: When you say "yesterday," <laughs> I think of old people. Good God! Well, man. he has been
0: acting for a generation. So Whatever, my point dude. being is that can you talk about what it's like when you're working with a certain cast where you know that the job is going to be taken very seriously and how that more or less elevates the quality of the uh, material once it's put on film?
3: Uh, it's it's tantamount to like going to church. Somehow it becomes this, you know. Not religious per se, but a spiritual, like a, it becomes like you, you begin to see the art of it all and the holding up of the mirror and the seriousness. You're not glib. You're not fun. You, you know, you're, you're paying homage to people who actually uh, didn't sleep nights, you know, uh, who really earnestly wanted to solve this, to give closure to families, to stop these killings. It was just real madness. I mean, and another, and another. And if you had an aunt or a mother or a sister at that time, you know, that fear just really got out there you know, to the point where, you know, uh, uh, you'll, you'll see in the film.
1: Cause this is before you, I mean, you were little, if any, I mean, like this is like, yeah, I, was I mean, you weren't, you don't though. remember this.
3: No, certainly not. Right. Um, yeah. but like, again, son of Sam, I remember my sister, one of my sisters lived in the Bronx at the time where he was killing people. So we were very aware of that 1977, I believe it was. Yeah. And, um, you know, uh, other, uh, crime in New York, you know, you're aware of, uh, of a pervasiveness, let's say of crime and how it affects you mentally, physically, spiritually, emotionally um, And so that's a real key through line in, in this story, I believe because it really affected uh, Not only boston, but you know, uh, the northeast the the country
1: Yeah. What's interesting is when you think of stories like this, where this woman was fighting to like get further into this and she was being told no, right? Like they weren't wanting to keep investigating into this and that's kind of keeping the media out of it. But yet We have so much sensationalized violence. When you watch our media, Mm. it it makes us think that crime is up when, in fact, crime is not up and it hasn't been in many years. So it's an interesting juxtaposition to me that like you have where this is an actual crime and they're not wanting you to really get to the bottom of it. But yet they have no problem promoting rampant crime in general.
3: You know, the old adage, if it bleeds, it leads. Well, you know, it mustn't bleed that much, damn it. You know what I mean? We're just enough to. (laughs) Too much blood. Yeah. uh, I don't know what the metric is with news people. Uh, You know, sometimes I trip across these, hey, how about some good news, you know, accounts on Instagram? And I just stay there for a little while, you know, catching my breath, you know, filling up on hope as opposed to just madness.
1: Yeah. You know, okay. So here's the thing I have to tell you. So I don't do social media because Mm -hmm. the people are very mean. And when I go on Instagram, like all I see, and it's not our Instagram, I have my little own like secret Instagram. And all I have basically are like puppies, firefighters, okay. um, ducks, um, like dance, ducks. a lot of dance. And that is it. Like, I don't want that nonsense in my no, head. No, I could
0: just go on and just look at the dog videos. Well, I that's mean, a that's thing. Really yes. All need. That's, the ducks
3: and the dogs.
0: I, They're yes. that you know.
1: My friend got me into ducks because she has a duck. And and so now I have to follow <laughs> I was looking
3: at that. a duck in Australia that goes surfing every day. That's what I was looking <laughs> really? at. Really? See, yeah. this is the
1: kind of Instagram feed I need. We don't
3: have ducks like that in Florida. We have
0: this, <laughs> Yeah, like, we
1: have kind of nasty ducks here. Yeah. I think
0: I still think those Egyptian geese are cute. Though.
1: They're nasty. <laughs> yeah. Waterfowl are nasty. I mean, I, they're pretty, yeah. but they're nasty.
0: Yeah, but that's Ugh. like like anything. I mean, I was just uh, showing Jen, you know, there was another, I'm sure you remember a great movie that was uh, based in Boston Spotlight, Michael Keaton, Rachel McAdams, Mark Ruffalo years ago. And Ryan Murphy. The whole idea of the yeah. establishment, like you said. Um, no one wants bad press, even right. if it means putting other people in danger, which I'm sure plays a significant role in this story. I'm sure that's where your role probably is pretty big is this idea of, yeah, we know things are bad, but uh, we really don't want this to make <laughs> us look bad. So we'll just kind of be quiet about it and say yeah, everything's fine. Everything's you know, fine. And, and that's the that's the idea about, uh, you know, the freedom of information that I believe is so important. Yeah, uh-huh. the truth may hurt, but I'd rather know the
3: truth than be living a lie. Well, with our First Amendment, I mean it's supposedly a given, but um, I think this this fellow Eddie Holland, uh, uh, he was a bottom line guy in terms of circulation, um, and uh, uh, he didn't want to. Also, he didn't want to exacerbate uh, the the issue. Um, sometimes during investigations, pe- police knowingly and um, strategically withhold information because the killer mustn't know that they know this it's all right. a part of them trying to find the guy or gal and um, and so there was a, a, a part of that happening also but at a certain point after 2 years you know 10 11 12 you know then it just became and and you know there was these uh, it wasn't just the killings it was the way it was the theater of it all the, you know the ligatures that and with bows and uh, it was a pretty involved um, horrific endeavor of this, these killers, um, probably, and so it really captivated people. It was a modern-day Jack the Ripper,
1: right? So they got one person that theoretically, at least, did some, right? Like somebody was somebody was accountable for some of them, yeah. but it, it is too obvious now that they weren't all the same person, and so they so, never bothered to go after anyone else.
3: Well, the story is Albert DeSalvo. Uh, toward the 13th, uh, confessed, and um, I don't want to get into the plot uh, no. because it's going to really retell what happened. Yeah, uh, Effie Bailey, the uh, attorney, is sure. a young attorney who made his bones oh, yeah. on this case. Um, Everyone becoming, knows him from O.J. Yeah, nationally known on on this case. Um, and what was in the mind of this guy, Albert DeSalvo, career petty criminal, you know, who who makes this massive departure over to serial killing? I don't think so. Um, so, um, he confessed, he had his own ulterior motives for confessing. They were f- monetary and financial. Um, but he was misguided in, in thinking that he's going to make all this money telling a story and, um, coming forward. But, uh, you see during the investigation in the film that he's, pr- he could po- not possibly have done all of these killings. Right. You know, you
0: think back to some of the most famous serial killers, uh, the Zodiac killer, uh, the golden, uh, uh Golden Gate Killer or whatever mm-hmm. it's called, uh, who recently got uh, put away. Uh, one thing you notice with a lot of these guys and the Son of Sam is that they, uh, they had a propensity to uh, either taunt the police or feel the need to constantly be writing about, uh, or to somebody, uh, let's say in the news, uh, to, you know, like to look a local newspaper to basically say, "Oh, well, you know, I killed another person this week, or I did this, that, and the other thing this week. Was there any connection with the Boston Strangler in terms of his or her MO in terms of whether or not they were
3: actually trying to poke the bear a few of like, Hey, I killed another one. Yeah. I think there was a letter or two, um, there were um like i said the way the crime scenes were left the way these victims were left were was horrific it was staged homicide you know it was it was horrible um there were certain aspects to some of the killings that were absolutely identical while others were not you know the the not the modus operandi but the just the crime scene itself um so it was a cat and mouse game obviously i'm sure that psychopaths or sociopaths you know this this cat and mouse thing feeds some deep dark horrible neurosis um that you know they need this interaction they need this power play uh, i didn't get too much into those aspects but right uh, again reading and rereading some of the uh literature and the news articles that's kind of uh not to bring it over to me but i'm just saying uh, it makes it you know getting involved The project that actually happened, uh, that was this dramatic, um, you know, it becomes a fascinating journey.
1: Yeah. Well, you can go down a rabbit hole of research, you know, since it's real, like, that's just the thing. I mean, there's no, like, there's so much material to work from.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Truly, (laughs) Especially especially on this.
1: So what else are you working on these days, Bob? What else is going on up there on, on the Island?
3: Um, on the island <laughs> well let's see what's coming up uh we have a uh, pretty decent size uh training cycle coming up uh lithium batteries are going to be taking up a lot of my time uh in terms of seminars hands-on training and how to deal with these things um
1: because it's a nightmare it's a, it's a nightmare
3: wait until they start winding up in landfills and dumps
1: uh, around honestly, the planet Yeah, Um, and this is the thing. I cannot stand it. I look at those Teslas. First of all, I call Tesla drivers Musk fans. Okay, Mm -hmm. that's what you are. You're just sucking up to Elon, Mm -hmm. and it's like somehow people think that's saving us. It's not saving us. No,
3: and you see the cobalt mines. Whereas these, uh, you know, these these the elements that go into these batteries are supplemented, obviously, in this computer and my iPhone, but um you know the modern day slavery attached to that it, it a lot of these things are really really hard to um what's the word to um anyway um so yeah uh, i'll be training uh uh project wise i'm looking at a couple of different things you know nothing's really sticking out right now um actually that's not true but um uh, so yeah it, it's a slow time of years things will pick up you know the only th- what i like about my life is the only thing that can change overnight is everything um in a lot <laughs> of different aspects so um yeah but things are good we had wakanda forever that came out and right. uh that was fun to be i mean it was fun it was that's
1: you know, amazing
3: just unbelievable to be a part of that the the storytelling uh the people the filmmakers ryan coogler the writer director producer um you know paying homage to chadwick boseman uh while you're trying to tell a story while you're in a marvel universe oh, you know i don't know how he did it but um so that was really exciting. And, was that um, your first
1: time playing in the Marvel yeah, universe? Yeah,
3: absolutely, it was. I said to Ryan, "I said, how did I get here? Like, how am I here?" But he was—he just was the nicest guy in the whole wide world. And um, and I'm I'm happy for his success um, with this with this film. Um, so yeah, uh, I'm just you know uh, a lot of training with the fire department. You know, a lot of meetings with the fire department. Uh, We just procured a whole bunch of equipment that we don't normally do. Um, That was exciting to tell you. (laughs) (laughs) That's my life, Jen. So, um, yeah, it's a little
1: nerdy. It's a little nerdy. You like the gear? You like the stuff?
3: No, we don't have any. We we were bare bones, and you know, we had this opportunity to 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 procure some equipment that we really need, and we did. And it's like you know, you just feel that much more confident in in your ability to affect. You know, a positive outcome on the fireground, and um, and so that's that's good. I'm, yeah. I'm raising money with Dennis Leary all the time for equipment for other departments. It's nice <laughs> when I get some of my. Well, own.
1: you know what? That's what makes you be more like Batman when you get the better stuff. That's yeah. how. That's the. That's how it works. You got to have the good gear. Only as good, good
3: as. Go ahead. No, I was going to ask you. No, no, please finish your thought. Uh, you're only as good as the guy who trains you on the equipment. You know? Is that well?
1: Okay, right. Yeah, so. Okay.
3: You can have all the toys in the world and just you
1: know, not know how to use them. Screw it up. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Now was Leary a fire? I mean, I obviously you know rescue me, but was he, was he a fireman?
3: Because I know Buscemi uh, was was a fireman. But- no, Dennis was not. Dennis fa- founded his uh, started his foundation on um, uh, because of what was referred to as the Worcester cold storage a fire, um, six firefighters perished. One was his cousin, the other was his best friend. And um, uh, uh, so when nine eleven happened, he was poised as a foundation to start to uh, help out families and and firefighters and stuff like that. And then, you know, the foundation just kept going and going and, and, and growing and, um, you know, mobile uh, command units, uh, flashover simulators, gloves, uh, thermal imaging cameras. Uh, through fundraising efforts, we've been well, he's been able to, um, you know, deliver all of this really much needed equipment to, to selective departments throughout the uh, country. Detroit, um, we rebuilt, and I was a part of that, uh, 14 of the 22 fire houses in New Orleans that were wow. really badly well, damaged. Yeah, we did one firehouse and we we're like, well, we could do that one. Well, we could do that. And then it, it ended up being 14. My son came down and worked with me. Um, so, you know, we bought them boats. Uh, so it's it's this, you know, um, I've coined the expression. I think the Leary Firefighter Foundation is the first responder to first responders, you know, giving them whatever they need to to uh, affect um, and, uh, you know, get the mission done.
1: This is one of those things that, while it's really amazing, makes me so sad that it's even needed because like I have this theory that we shouldn't need these organizations to be picking up slack like that shouldn't be something that's needed. It's just sort of pathetic to me. It's sort of like, you know, GoFundMe is a health insurance policy kind of mentality. It's like we're just all help. Everyone has to help themselves. And. You know, there are some people that come up and help in a bigger way. And it's really, really nice. But yet it's really, really kind of. And
0: I think people forget sad. it took John Stewart years oh, yeah. and years yeah. of using his platform to finally get the U.S. Senate to do something about,
3: you yoga. know,
0: burn pits. I mean, that's it's amazing. <laughs> yeah. And to think that, you know, when we've spoken with uh, the head of the Firefighters Union here in Broward, it, it's amazing that. There's different types of cancer oh, yeah. that are covered, and others that are not. And I'm thinking, yeah, they
1: actually negotiate in when they're negotiating their, you know, contract, like which cancers are and are not included in their health care.
3: Mm, really you're told because of the fire loads these days, everything is plastic. Years ago, it was wood and cloth and wool, yeah. and you could breathe that stuff, you know, uh, quite uh, benignly. Uh, but you're told now that if you're a firefighter and you're sometimes in new york they refer to it as the meal if you're getting a lot of smoke at a fire without your yeah. mask on uh, you're gonna die of cancer you just don't know which type because of um you <laughs> know th- these plastics are burning at 800 parts per million greater than than your nominal you know a uh, uh, piece of wood off gases carbon so um we were at a fire this summer where we went into a kitchen in the back door and uh You know we're looking for the fire with the camera it's puffing out and and everything in the kitchen is melted that's how hot it is like well the toaster oven's melted the microwave is melted everything's melted where's the fire well we, we found the fire we went back around the front came to the front door the fact of the matter is stuff uh burns i mean trusses are are laminate it's glue and wood byproducts and they're pressed together with the glue and when glue burns it just drips on you and it you know um uh, but the off-gassing, um, and you know, we we were talking a little bit about these batteries. Um, everything's just burning hotter, and it's really taken off these days. You know, people say with the bunker gear, you know, forty-five uh, minute bottles, uh, you know, good mass, Oh, the job's become uh, safer. The job has not no. become safer. It's become exponentially uh, more dangerous. Bobby, before we go, can you
0: please talk about, you know, one of the biggest things we talk about religiously uh, on the show, uh, obviously we're huge supporters of labor, but also very critical of the fact that our infrastructure is decades and decades behind where it needs to be at this point. Mm -hmm. East Palestine should have been Uh, the final nail in the coffin for how bad our infrastructure (laughs) is, how bad things are, with what Norfolk Southern has been able to get away with. We all know they get away with it because they buy off both major parties. Could you talk about the importance, especially being a firefighter, of having the best technology and infrastructure up to date at all times?
3: Um, We as firefighters, we stand in our own corporation. Our bread and butter is the is the interest of the public, their safety, and their well being. In corporate America, it is exactly the opposite. There's a bottom line, and it is profit. Um, the food corporations have no interest in Americans' health. Uh, certainly, people who move railroads through the United States have no interest in people's health or safety. Um, so, you know, at the corporate level, you know, all the lobbying and all the lifting of regulation and, you know, they know how to spend the things. And, um, you know, even as we speak here, there's, there's buildings worth of lawyers and guys sitting there going, Hmm, you know, how can we, and, and it's almost like the lock is in. Yeah. Sometimes I get a little depressed about it all, but then, you know, you have like, like this show, you know, Again, you never know what could change. Everything could change because of, you know, um, Aaron um, Brakovich, you know, one woman, one attorney. Um, she landed in East Palestine and all of a sudden, you know, it was on world news, you know. Um, so the cat will always be out of the bag before it's brought back in somehow, you know. But again, food is not a concern. Uh, your health in this country is not a concern. Um, the safety of our children doesn't seem to be a concern. Uh, so, so the fire service, I posted something a little while ago and it meant a lot to me. It said, you know, the fire service is the last bastion of, 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 I can't remember specifically like doing what's right. Okay. So act accordingly. And I really believe that. Do you know what I mean? Um, one, one of us, affects all of us. So yet yeah, we have to act accordingly. And that's on the fire ground, off the fire ground, in our lives and everything. Because you're still out there. You you know the tones go off. And I said, well, what color is the person? What is their what is their gender? What is their affiliation? What is their religion? We don't you go, baby. You know what I mean? And that's what I love, the purity of the service. Um, and it's 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 not what you say or think or feel. It's you're you're in action. And by virtue of your actions, you're dispensing with all of those boxes that, you know, yeah. they try and put us in and, and the divisiveness and the, and the, the separation and the fire service still represents a, a, a great place and, you know, ambulance and, and law enforcement for the most part, um, uh, where, uh, <laughs> I don't New York City policeman once said to me, he's like, you know why I wanted to become a fireman, Bob, instead of a policeman? I says, no, Joe, why? He goes, because I wanted to help people. I was like, <laughs> I thought, you guys a cop, don't you? But, I mean, I'll never forget it. it was so telling. That's um,
1: truth, though. That's yeah. true. Uh,
3: so, anyway, I don't know if that answers your question, but the fire service, to me, uh, is, is like a last bastion. You know, yeah. look at the guys in Ukraine. I mean, look at what they're affecting, these these firemen. They don't have anything, and yet, you know, they have missiles coming in and, and airstrikes and what have you, artillery, and they're up on the ladder, like trying to get a hose. And uh, it's, it's. I watch those guys, and and I just, it's very emotional to watch them.
1: Yeah. Yeah, because you understand the nature of collective and you understand the nature of being stronger when people work together. As cliche as that is, people that do things like firefighting and serving in the military understand that concept. And most people are just so me, 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 me. And that is we have this total individualism that's like eroding um, so many good things. And I, I, I do think that's why. That's I don't know, know why
3: that's such a hard concept for, for people to understand. Cause then that right? I'm called
1: the communist. Because, when I start well, saying. Oh,
3: that. that, yeah. Well, the planet's getting smaller. The resource resources are getting smaller and, you know, nature, even the nature, not nature out in nature, but the nature of the human being, the nature of our evolution, it's going to be very slow. And, and it doesn't happen on Wednesday at three, o'clock. you know, when right. the shit goes down, although it could, um, but, uh, uh, <laughs> So there's an eventuality. There's a slow train wreck, if I might use such a t- horrible metaphor. Um, the working together part, I I, I I often thought, you know, you know, the, the Kennedy administration, you know, asked not what your country can do for you. I mean, when did that become the wrong thing? When did living sustainably become like... A communistic. When did
1: um, cleaning, circa Reagan, Clinton, killing labor and boosting yeah, but that's, it's power? Just, that's
3: just like propaganda where they assign, uh, 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 you know, some spin to I'm just cleaning up the beach here on, on <laughs> Wednesdays and Fridays. That doesn't make me any political affiliation. You're a communist,
1: Bob. You're trying to to help people in a way where everyone should pull themselves up and pick up their own garbage. And when
3: the
0: system finally is collapsing, which it is, um, it's very easy to just point the finger at the individual rather than the system and say, well, this person's not working hard enough. They're not working smart enough. They're not doing enough. They're just it used to be in yesteryear. Uh, you should time. have a job and just, you know, just not sit on your ass. Today, it's gotten to the point where people are saying, "Get a better job." Right, because working
1: three isn't enough. It's uh, yeah, and that's the whole. <laughs> it's totally the
0: Mexicans fucking. Oh, day, for totally God's And so, when people look at that and think. Uh well is he right? Well no, actually the reason why that is happening is because the people at the top don't want to pay a living wage because there's no labor laws in this country anymore.
3: So why them them dumb, keep them poor, keep them. It's a very easily formula. Um but you know, there's the other part of that, the hopeful part is it's twenty twenty three, a lot of the answers are here. Yeah. You know what I mean? And and we're still growing, we're still, you know, uh uh trying to make sense of it all. But um it, it it it's very sad uh sometimes um a lot of these things i remember as a teen and a 20 year old and i would read and and you know uh uh some of these things were promised to us you know um yeah. the lack of resources uh, climate change uh, these types of things you know uh, as a 41 year old who went through fire school so we go through osha training each year we go through pesh which is a new york osha and you know you have a class in sexual harassment you have a class in pathogens well i'm 41 years old at the time so i'm listening right and the pathogens class i remember looking up at the powerpoint and thinking that's horrible if that happens and that you know so and it it was an abstraction to think of a pathogen to, to you know a pandemic but it came off of the wall and into my life and i said well now it's not an abstraction so a lot of these things were promised to us but how are we going to face them that that's the hallmark of a of a civilization. Well, we're working you, on it. Well, if you think I,
0: that
1: our we're ch- working on if,
3: it, if you think I know ch- you ch- are. Yeah. That's why I'm here. And and I, I follow you guys and, and and, and the work you're doing and and I but think But you don't respond
1: to texts, Bob. You don't respond to texts. I texted you and you didn't respond, but then you messaged me on Instagram, but that's him, not me. Just oh me. sorry, wait a
3: minute. You texted me on my phone phone? I did. Must have been in that unknown category that I checked. I'm in that unknown <laughs> category. That <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry.
1: No, it's okay. And then you message me on Instagram, and he, you know, while he's nice, you know, it's it, you know, I he's just not I, I
0: specifically said here's the number,
1: I, right? But that, I, I'm just telling you. But now you know. Now you know that that happened.
3: Sure. I'm so bad. You know what? <laughs> I, I I plead old guy. Um,
1: no, you know. no. You're not in yesteryear,
0: Bob. You are not. Bob, shoot you out of text. <laughs> guys, if you are not currently subscribed to Hulu, make sure that you are at least for your free trial oh, next God. Friday. Next Friday, Boston Strangler drops on Hulu. You're definitely going to want to check it out March 17th. Check
1: out our friend Robert John Burke.
0: Thank you for coming on the podcast. Next time, we'll make sure you have an
3: hour because we
1: know yes. we can talk
3: for a
0: long time.
1: Yes.
3: You guys are great. Thank, Thank
0: you so you. much
1: for having
3: me. I'm honored and flattered, and it, it's always nice to spend time with you.
1: Thanks, Bob. Amen. Always Bye a pleasure, guys. Have Bye. a good one. Bye. He's so sweet.
3: Well, that was a fun
0: conversation, yes. but that is just the appetizer. Because okay, have... guys.
1: Now, we have. I have to tell my background all right, Jen, story all right, about before, this.
0: Before we bring in Mac, Jen has a little backstory. That I think to it's
1: Jeff. a weird story. So okay. I'm watching, you know, my little YouTube shows like I do, and I'm watching this video of this good politic guy, and I'm like, huh he's cool I'm liking what he's talking about all right we should we should meet him we should you know cross-pollinate and so I send Peter the screenshot of I don't know what I said I'm like see if you could get this guy to come on the show and then that night I saw that this guy was scheduled to come on the show and I said you were able to do it that fast he's like no I didn't even see your text which I think is very interesting I I, I mean, why why do you not find that interesting? He responded to the email very quickly. Well, no, that's uh, not what happened. You had already done it. That's Uh, the thing. Oh, for God's sake, you missed the whole story. The whole point is, is that he actually scheduled this before he even heard me say we should schedule this.
2: He
0: is the good politic guy. Mac, welcome to Generational Change.
2: Hey, guys, how's it going?
1: Hi, it's nice to meet you.
2: Yeah, it's nice to meet you guys, too. I've been, you know, aware of your guys channel for a long time now. So, uh, you know, it's good to finally cross paths, I guess.
1: Yeah. And I was just watching um, you today. And I must say, I'm sad about the whole situation because up until, you know, now I would claim I've always been a Katie Porter supporter yeah reporter supporter but um but now i'm thinking not that i'm like discounting all of the good things that she's done because you know people are not all or nothing like that's not how this works but i was really like sad about that and unfortunately you were the bearer of that bad news to me today and so I'm now i'm bringing you thanks
0: mac great job yeah my fault.
1: so um would you like i mean is that something you would want to talk about like we're pretty flexible like we could just but that was sort of like a Not a Santa Claus isn't real moment for me, but it was really disappointing.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, it was disappointing to me, too. At the same time, it's like it's not that surprising because it's not as if we have like many Democrats within Congress who are like fervently standing up for Palestinian human rights. So it's like it's not the most unexpected thing, but you know, I guess, I guess you're right. Like it's, I think we should separate some of, you know, her her good solid positions on like domestic policy issues from some of her absolutely atrocious foreign policy, um, you know, uh, issues that she supports. So, I mean, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was definitely a big disappointment. I mean, I've been covering Katie Porter for a while now. You know, everybody seems to like her like famous whiteboard takedowns and all of that good stuff, challenging corporate yeah. power. That's all great. But like, I mean, you know, she said it was kind of funny. I covered it in my video today. She said um, one of the quotes was like, you know, I'm not really you know well equipped with uh, you know my analysis on this specific issue. Clearly. But at the same time, it's like you're coming out and making these these pretty bold pro- proclamations, you know, about our relationship with Israel. So, I mean, yeah, it was it was definitely a big disappointment to see that.
1: Yeah. I mean, well, look, the whole idea, and you went into it quite well, and guys, go check it out because it was a really good sort of explanation about why a two-state solution is bogus. We've talked about it as well. Um, We are in the process. We have a series called Deconstructing Zionism um, that I do as a Jewish anti-Zionist person now, but I was raised very, very Zionist. Like, the, it, that was finding out that Santa Claus was a mass murderer for me. Right. Like, that was huge. It was <laughs> yeah. huge. And it's over the process of like 15 years or so. Um, but so this is very important to me and as a Jewish person. Like, I feel like I, it is incumbent upon me to to talk about this. Um, but there is no possible two-state solution, guys. It's not a thing. We've said it before. It is a talking point used for people who don't want to deal with the issue. That's <laughs> right. it. Right, and
0: it's, and it's really amazing just how poor so many people's political instincts are. I don't know what Katie Porter is thinking. Oh, she that was she thinking
1: would, J Street took her to Israel yeah. is what she was thinking. Yeah, yeah, but
0: what's the point? Because Adam Schiff is the Zionist in this race, and he's going to get right. a lion's share of right. that vote in L.A. and San Francisco. It's just the way it is. That doesn't mean you can't win the primary. And then right. once that's done— you you know, you seize on the pro the, well, the remember, primaries such so big
1: their jungle primary there. Th-
0: that's true. But nonetheless, it it's not good. It there's there's nothing to actually gain from doing what she did. Well, you
1: lose all ho- you lose all hope of really getting the, the actual left. The yeah. the actual yeah. progressives. It's like that for a lot of people, and I'm not saying one way or the other, is a deal breaker.
2: You know? Yeah, no. And I mean, you know, I, I think that it, it should be in some ways, you know, that that is a pretty good litmus test. I think, you know, being anti apartheid is not, you know, shouldn't be that much of a controversial issue, in my opinion. But, <laughs> um, you know, I mean, a, another thing that I would add to that is like, a part of her calculation in her head, I mean, maybe this is just something that she like hasn't really looked into that much. And maybe she's just like, you know, not the most educated on this specific thing. But, um, you know, another part of this could be that, We've seen so many different progressive like left wing campaigns recently that have just been absolutely clobbered over the head by lobbying groups um, that are supportive of the government of Israel. So maybe this Mm -hmm. could be somewhat of like a defensive move in her, you know, from her perspective or something where she doesn't want APAC, She doesn't want all of these other firms like going after her and targeting her and spending money against her in this race. So that could be part of it. But, you know, I, I don't know.
1: I think that those are very, very sage words because I think that is what it is. And I am actually in the process right now of working on a little project, um, that would be an anti-PAC PAC and would actually put campaign money and do campaigns against the filthy incumbents alongside the parallel campaign of a grassroots candidate to combat exactly APAC and DMFI. And this is something is sort of like my brainchild. I've, Been thinking about this, ruminating for a couple of years now. And you're not getting rid of those packs. That's not going to happen. They're not going anywhere. They're not going anywhere. They're going to just keep spending because it seems to be effective. So that's that. So, how do you level the playing field with that? How do grassroots people that don't want to take corporate money stand a chance when they're fighting two to one? Because they're fighting the opponent's campaign and the pack campaign at the same time. And so, my theory is we need to level the playing field and there needs to be a pack super PAC, oh, we're taking, take money, I don't care. Honestly, it doesn't matter to me where they get the money from because they're not directly supporting candidates. All they're doing is putting out anti-corruption, um, you know, social media, uh, TV ads, whatever it is, against the candidates, legitimate corruption. And the idea of that corporate money could be calling out corporate whoredom to me is poetic justice. And, I, and the fact that there would be no direct link to a candidate, not even talking about this, can, they're not even talking about that. What are your thoughts on that idea?
2: like having a super PAC, like, or having some sort of like a political action committee or some sort of like fundraising mechanism for somewhat left-wing campaigns. I mean, you know, it it depends. I mean, if it's, I I would definitely be hesitant if I, if it's taking money from any sort of like corporate actors or something, because there's always, you know, that potential. Well, here's
1: the thing. So this is a nonpartisan thing. This is a nonpartisan thing whose sole purpose is to call out corruption from right. our Congress people. That's it, that's their job. To put it all into little clips so that people could see it all in one fell swoop. We're talking the you know campaign finance shit, the insider trading, all of this stuff that's legitimate corporate whoredom, okay? Yeah. And what would happen is all this PAC would do would be nonstop campaigning against those candidates that have viable challengers calling out their corruption. That's it. They're not talking about the the grassroots candidate. They're only calling out facts that you would get on open secrets or unusual whales or any of those, you know, things. And it's like it to me, again, I I wouldn't take corporate money as a candidate. There's no way I would do that because it the appearance of impropriety and there's that whole quid pro quo and all of that. But if you're a super PAC and you could take as much money from wherever you want and all you're using your money for is to call out corruption
2: I'm, I'm all I'm for that. Let the
1: games begin, people, because yeah. I'm. I am. That's my thought, and I'm. And I'm in the process of trying to, like, you know, formulate this because you know the candidates in theory have nothing to do with this. They have nothing to do. They don't have to. Like, let's say that when Nina Turner was being bombarded by DMFI, okay, wouldn't it be nice if there was a pack that was going after Chantel incessantly for all of her filthy corruption?
2: Yeah. Yeah. It exactly. Been-
1: <laughs> so then what we do is we create a situation where we're at least fighting two to two.
2: Yeah. No, I mean, if 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 I mean, if it's possible to get some sort of a, a pack that's backed by, you know, a, a decent amount of money that could actually yep. just be solely focused on issues of corruption, I'm 100 percent for that.
1: OK, good, because this is a project right now. And, you know, my my goal is to put together enough of a, a thing where it can be presented to somebody like a Mark Cuban and be like, you kind of like sticking it to the establishment. You did nice with big pharma there. How would you like to work on getting some corruption out and be the founder of the first anti-PAC pack, you know, and getting somebody in at that level? And that's really what I'm kind of, that's where I am now. And I always put that out there because I'm telling you, I just need five minutes with Mark Cuban in the room. I feel like <laughs> like we could do so many wonderful things together. <laughs> but yeah. that's what that's what I'm working on right now because I, I, you're not going to get them to stop doing it.
2: Do you think, do you think somebody like Mark Cuban would, uh, or any corporate actors for that matter, or, you know, billionaires like him, do you think that they would be supportive of a pack that is, you know, uh, pushing for a candidate? Cause if you're a candidate who is, you know, left-wing progressive, yeah. it's not even, it's not just going to be like anti-corruption issues. You're also going to have a bunch of other issues, you know, whether you it's are. like uh, tax brackets, whether it's healthcare, whether it's education, a lot of left-wing reforms that require taking on the billionaire class, corporate America. So, yeah. you know, I mean. I don't know. Maybe there it's is just
1: a like a sort of billionaire, but the fact yeah. that he did what he did with the pharmaceutical industry, I thought, sure. um, and I've, I've been watching him for a while. He actually does seem to have values other than profit. He actually does seem to support ventures that are not solely profit based ventures that have a different purpose. So that was my, my thought is okay. And this is somebody who knows what it's like to like work. Right. So, you know, but but there's other people that I definitely do know and can tap into. Like, this is something that is very plausible. Now, the size it gets is a whole other story. Again, right. I mean, you know, you know, like Mark, call me.
0: I think anything <laughs> that is directly related to what he has attempted to do. And this is one of the you know, the sad truth is, is that on the one hand, what Mark Cuban did do with cost plus drugs is a phenomenal thing. It's actually helped a lot of people now, of course, bringing it to scale would require it to become a single payer, uh, you know, universal healthcare system to have a, you know, to basically take big form out of the equation. The negative side of it is you have a lot of these, you know, free market capitalists, libertarian, and even these neoliberal minded people who see what Mark Cuban is doing and thinking, see, we don't need government. We just need the private sector to take care of everything.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean. I think that's a good point too, as well. I mean, yeah, we need, we need structural campaign finance reform in this country, hundred percent. Like, you know, in the meantime, if we can't get that on the table, sure. You know, let's, let's approach it through these avenues, try to fight fire with fire, I guess. But yeah, I mean, I, I would take that with, with pretty much every major issue that we're facing in this country. You need systemic structural reform, especially when it comes to something like campaign finance. I mean, that's, yeah. that's the underlying core rot of the entirety of the American political system is just effectively legalized corruption and bribery. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I mean, I think that, you know, I think I think that that could have some potential, especially if it's working in tandem with some sort of like, you know, actual grassroots fundraising and working in tandem yeah. with like, you know, on the ground organizing and all of that, then that, that could definitely be a positive thing.
1: Yeah. I mean, at this point, I feel like we over the past four years have really shifted the paradigm on a lot of things about. Um, campaigns and what it means to do a political campaign and that that should look like public service because so should actually serving in a political seat look like public service. And so we are often like creating a whole new thing that doesn't, that hasn't existed before, you know, and, and that's not always easy to do. And I personally, and I've said this for like my entire adult life, I support um, publicly financed elections. I think yeah. that the whole thing is ludicrous. I think that the campaign cycle should be three months or less. I think everybody should get the same million dollars or whatever we decide to give everybody. And, you know, like we used to do in high school for student government and everybody gets their amount of time and that's it three months, but no, because the consultant class, which is really at the heart of the entire political process, would then cease to be able to make as much money as they do from the length of the campaigns and the amount of like theater that is involved. They're
0: not even really that relevant to begin with.
1: But that's, where, that's why we can't have shortened election cycles. That's why it is such a big freaking deal is because these people are suckling at the teat oh,
2: yeah. of the
1: electoral process.
2: Yeah, and it's it's honestly annoying. I mean, especially as a you know political commentator that like we're we're already having conversations about 2024 and and so on and so yeah. forth. And it's like we, we've already started this conversation almost immediately after the 2022 midterms. It's just a sort of like a, a constant rat race that we're we're chasing around and figuring out, you know. How these campaigns are going to be structured even before some of these campaigns have even been launched off i mean you know we had uh just a couple of days ago i saw that uh pramila jayapal and a lot of other members of the congressional progressive caucus were already throwing their weight behind uh joe biden for 2024 and it's like he hasn't even he hasn't even announced his his reelection. i mean he, he's pr- almost certainly going to run again but you know you're, you're already Ruling out the potential of somebody even posing some sort of a challenge to him to try to shift the overton window and, and throwing your weight behind him. So I thought that was kind of funny as well. Because they don't
1: want to shift it. But what's the matter? You don't think that if we just vote for some more blue people? Just <laughs> vote for some more blue people. If you get all the blue people in there, everything right. will be fine. And even problem you, solved.
0: Problem right. solved. And even if you yeah. don't, you know, think that there's enough viability to somebody like Marion Williamson, just the idea that you should have a primary. What about just not getting involved? Like, I, I really don't understand this idea that, you know, Biden's presidency has been a borderline failure in so many ways. And to me, I think that's most,
1: generous. Yeah.
0: And and the biggest reason he's been a failure is because of what he's done with labor. I mean, you want to talk about a president who's was basically he is he is channeling Reagan and has been for quite some time. And people don't want to talk about it. And he wrote the crime bill.
1: He yeah. wrote, Like this, he is a, look, I am so, so tired. Like These a, are not democratic like people.
0: A, a, you saw DeSantis is basically his, uh, what I considered to be his intro advertisement for running for president. I'm sure you saw it, which was basically an homage to Reagan. It's like, we've gone to the point now uh. where we will have two canon, two, uh, disciples of Reagan to vote for, for president. And yeah. that we haven't come far enough. And yet I'm looking at the Progressive Caucus and I could give a damn what Pramila Jayapal does. We all know who we're talking about. The fact is there was so much help that was provided, whether it was to Alex, to Corey, to Rashida, to Graval, Kana. We can go on and on. But there isn't this principled stand of just saying, listen, let things play itself out, whereas on the Republican side,
1: I oh, mean, They, they like really, a good bloodbath good over there. Yeah. They yeah. love that. I, and I wish the Democrats, but also this is, we always say this, Democrats are so much less democratic. Republicans oh, are yeah. super delegates. But don't,
0: but don't, know don't they, know they know that this is going to hurt the Democrats? <laughs> they don't care. 2024?
1: What yeah. are your thoughts? Like they don't care.
2: Yeah, no, I mean, of course they don't care. But I mean, the difference, uh, the difference I would say is that like, you know, in the Republican party, you know you could have some sort of a challenger, whether it's like Nikki Haley, Ron DeSantis, any yeah. one of these, you know, even like John Bolton or Mike Pompeo. And you know, the corporate the corporate backers who are financing both of our political parties, they don't care if it's you know Ron DeSantis or Nikki Haley or Donald Trump. I think they maybe don't like Donald Trump as much because you know he's a little bit more of a wild card and they like to just maintain a steady status quo. Or, but like yeah, on, on the right, it's like you know, they're able to have a lot more of that infighting because at the end of the day, they're all serving the exact same economic agenda. Whereas, you know, with Democrats, it's like, you know, you have somebody like Marianne Williamson in the race or was also going back to like, you know, Bernie Sanders, people who like, kind of want to push for actual, like, structural reform to at least some degree in this country. I mean, still, obviously, they're they're capitalists and all of that, but, uh, you know, pushing for some structural reform. And that's an entirely different conversation, because then, on the left, you are actually challenging, you know, those centers of power, you're challenging our institutions, you're challenging the system from uh, within. And so it's like, yeah, of course, Democrats are never going to allow for that conversation, that debate with Marianne Williamson or any other left wing candidate to uh, actually take place because they're challenging the donor class, essentially. So,
1: yeah, well, they get rid of them as challengers before the debate process. Like it'll be very different. And I think that's also why you're not finding out for sure whether or not Joe is running again. They're going to keep it unknown for as long as they possibly can, because any of the usual people like your Pete's or Kamala's or any of those drones, they won't get in if Biden might get in, right? So this is just keeps it so that we're not even having to have this discussion. We're not even having it, we just assume Joe's running, so there's no need to even talk about this.
0: Why do you think the left movement of any kind has been defanged so dramatically over the past couple of years?
2: Um, you know, I mean, it's a complicated question. I don't think, I don't think that I could, I could sum it up just in the last couple of years because I think it yeah. goes a lot deeper than that. I mean, we're talking about like decades and decades and decades of, you know, uh, the establishment decimating our labor movement, destroying unions and, uh, you know, worker power in every way, shape or form, you know, uh, uh, targeting civil rights movements and, uh, you know, liberation movements as well. And just sort of like bearing down on any sort of even mildly left-wing movements within this country. So we're sort of like coming to, I guess, sort of like, the tail end of this like neoliberal era crash right now, where people want like drastic change in one direction or another, but, um, you know, it's, it's a lot more difficult when you're on the left, as opposed to just being like some poser, you know, a right-wing populist who, you know, like Donald Trump, for example, who's going around and talking about how, you know, terrible NAFTA was and how terrible the Iraq war was and talking about a whole bunch of things that are 100% worthy of criticism. But, you know, he doesn't have any legitimate answers to any of those economic, any of those, you know, uh, foreign policy issues. But, you know, when you're on the left, it's a lot more difficult to actually build that movement because you're serious about tackling all of those various issues. You have to do it from the ground up. Again, you're working from from behind because we've had decades of you know the decimation of left-wing movements in this country. And so we have to like figure out a way to like claw our way back into the game right now and uh you know actually build up like a viable labor movement, actually build up grassroots organizations and you know wow. utilizing direct action and then you know mobilizing in effective ways. And that's still a lot of stuff that we're we're trying to figure out as we go. But you know, I mean we, we are working from behind. We have to like, you know, remind ourselves of that is that this is not, you know, it was never supposed to be an easy process. It was never supposed to be like, you know, a quick process, like this is something we have to be invested in for the long run and be serious about it. But in terms of like the last couple of years, I mean, you know, I, I think that I think that seeing, especially for me, because I'm, I'm pretty young and watching, you know, Bernie Sanders get absolutely shafted twice in a row by the DNC, yeah. you know, by the, the, the you know, corporate class within the Democratic Party, you know, watching that unfold kind of like decimates almost your belief in like the the political system that we have right now. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that's when, that's when, again, we have to turn to like other avenues. And I think if I was going to lean on anything to give me even like a, a moderate amount of hopium, In a moment like this for the left, it would be definitely the sort of like resurgence of the modern American labor movement with all of these different unionization attempts and um, all of that. So that's why I like I like covering that stuff on my channel so much is because that's that's where real power resides in this country. And I think that would be that would be our best weapon if we on the left can. You know, yeah. f- figure out a way to actually use collective worker power as an effective weapon against, directly against the, wor- the the ruling class within this country, directly against corporate America, instead of having to like, you know, use like proxies through corrupt political systems and through corrupt politicians and just going directly to the source and, uh, you know, trying to extract some of those demands that we all deserve.
1: And I think that is exactly what Shama Sawant and this organization that she, the workers strike back, that is what I am hoping is basically what that will do is sort of coalesce a bunch of unions and individual labor areas, because I mean, that's, it's so, we're so disjointed, you know, the idea of even having a general strike is just so far gone. I mean, like we're, we're so the idea of coordinating the fact that the rail railroad unions were able to coordinate 12 unions was like, like a miracle, yeah. like that was, uh, that was pretty new that that even was able to happen. Um, so it is slow going, but I feel somewhat hopeful that there's so many different like things happening. You just, you're not, we're not seeing it as much, obviously on corporate media because they don't want people to know that this is going on, but it is, and it's global.
2: Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I've been talking about, um, you know, you have uh, hundreds of thousands of uh, French people, for example, French workers going, taking to the streets to protest the uh, pension yeah. reforms. You know, we have, uh, there have been so many different other movements around the world that are, you know, actually standing up and, and fighting against this. But, you know, as you said, like, this is a global thing. Like, you know th- this sort of inevitable fall of neoliberal capitalism is definitely going to be a global thing and so we're we're kind of at like an inflection point right now at least in my opinion where it's like you know we can we can go down one of two paths and that is either we descend into sort of this you know right wing fascist dystopia or we actually push for like bold left wing you know economic populist agenda items and uh you know you build that sort of collective worker power in order to uh you know, make that happen. So, I mean, this is, it's kind of like scary times, but it's also, uh, you know, we could could definitely still make something out of this. I got a little bit of hope left for us.
1: Yeah, I do. And I think that when you look at it, like there's, when we're able to look at it from a global perspective, the reality is our choices are really nationalism and empire over what is the collective struggle of the working class. That is, you know, when people argue about, oh, China and Russia, and I'm like, I don't care what language my (laughs) oligarchs speak. My oligarchs could speak a myriad of languages. I really don't care. We're all in the same boat. Just some people in other countries have it infinitely worse. But there's, you know, we're not, like, that's why the whole border thing and the nationalism and all of that stuff, I'm just like, we have so much more in common with the working people in France and Ukraine than we do with anybody. Like, it has nothing to, you know, and it's just, you know, the system's designed. You're young, but I've been watching this for a lot longer. It's designed to keep us fighting amongst ourselves.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's sort of, um, you know, that's why we have so much sort of like culture war nonsense going on right now. Is you know these people, whether it's like Tucker Carlson or you know Donald Trump or any one of these other right wing freaks like uh, Matt Walsh or uh, Michael Knowles or any oh. of the other Daily Wire cast. I mean, it's like you know I, I can't say that they're a hundred percent you know being entirely disingenuous about what they actually believe, but I think to a large extent, like you know, they know exactly what they're doing. They know exactly what kind of game that they're playing. There's a reason why they're focusing on like the, you know, drag shows are the greatest threat to the country (laughs) and whatever. And, oh, you just so happen to, you know, be working for an organization, a news outlet, so-called news outlet that is literally being funded by millionaires and billionaires. And so you're, you know, using all of these different wedge issues to try to divide and conquer and distract people from the fact that we all understand, even if you are like right wing or something, everybody understands we're all getting shafted by corporate America, by big pharma, by all of these different things, right? We all understand that. And that's just a part of the whole strategy. And Democrats do this too, to a large extent as well. That's why they participate in a lot of these, you know, uh, cultural war battles as well, to the extent that they do. It's not because they really care about these things. It's just because it's a lot easier to talk about those things than talking about fixing a lot of the underlying problems that we have.
1: Yeah, Yeah. they blame the Republicans. Democrats blame Republicans and Republicans blame brown people. Well, we had a pretty
0: viral clip that went out the other day, which basically highlights the fact that Joy Behar and Nina Turner are both Democrats. Uh, don't think <laughs> for a second that there's just about anything in common Nothing. that they have. Yeah. And so as a result of that, trying to explain to somebody that somebody like Joy Behar is going to focus on, oh, they didn't hire this person because they're, uh, they're a woman or they're a person of color or this or that. Nina Turner's going to talk about we don't have health care, clean drinking water, a living wage, right. clean energy, endless war, right. criminal yeah. justice reform. You're never gonna hear that from the view. So yeah. when we're when we're talking about where we are, you know, a lot of people like to say we're socially liberal and economically conservative. No, I believe that we're culturally conservative and economically progressive. And that is generally where most people land. And if we focus on the core issues that most people agree on. That's where the most success is going to happen.
1: Which is
2: labor. Yeah. Yeah, Everything revolves around labor. 100%. And, yeah. I,
0: and I assume you saw, we'll pull this up right now, perfect timing, the uh, video for More Perfect Union with what just happened with the Teamsters head, uh, with this- yeah. uh, Did you for,
2: watch this? With Senator Moore. Yeah, yeah I, I saw some of it. That was that was amazing.
0: So this no. is- there. This is without question, the type of labor leadership we need. And of course, not surprisingly, it comes from the Teamsters. You and, nice the and No, don't tell me I'm
3: out of you line. line. Don't tell me I'm out of line. Well, you, you, you frame, don't tell me. You I'm framing you, you. Frame statement. you. Frame the stable Yeah, because you don't know. You're gonna you're tell me to about. shut my mouth? Yeah. Yes, yeah. I did. Hold it, yeah. hold it, tough guy. I'm not it afraid it of physical. No, no, no. Hold be, it, up. but don't
0: sit there and tell me I'm out of line. Because
3: we hold, we hold greedy CEOs like yourself accountable.
1: You call me a greedy CEO? Oh yeah, you are.
3: You want to attack my salary? I'll attack you. Up. What did you ahead. make? What did you make when you owned your company?
0: When I made my company, I kept my salary down at about uh, fifty thousand a year because I invested
3: every penny into it. Okay, all right. You mean you hid money? No, I didn't hide. Oh, okay. Hold on a second. Okay, he said that's out of line. You said We're even.
0: We're not even. We're not even close to being even. You I think know. it's smart? You think you're funny? No, you're not.
3: You think you're funny. No, I never
0: said, uh, did I smile? You frame, you frame your opening statement. Hold on, hold on, (coughs)
3: let's, you frame your opening statement, Stan. Senator,
0: continue, uh, Senator,
3: please continue
0: your statement. But sir, this is, I think, I think it's great that you're doing this because this shows their behavior on how they try to come in and organize a shot. And they say about intimidation and it's not about intimidation. This may show your behavior.
3: Stay on the issue, please.
1: Oh my God. Is that guy not like the biggest dude? Uh,
2: yeah, no, that guy. And it was so, fact- David Dole
1: fact-checked him. I have to work with this guy
0: on a regular basis. He is a new guy in politics and I don't like him very much. He has a lot to say, but Mark White-Mullen, that senator from Oklahoma. I he said he started with
1: next to nothing except for then it was found out that Uh, Our friend David Dole, Rational National, shout out, did a nice little fact checky on that, and it turns out it was more like $600,000, not $50,000. Well, you see,
0: the problem is is that he's collecting his dividends from uh, uh, underpaying his workers, Mm. which is unfortunately what we see all too often here in this country. Uh, Mac, you're doing a really great job with your podcast. I want to wish you lots of luck, and you know, unfortunately, this is the the bearer of uh, bad news. Uh, I have to (laughs) basically do all of this by myself, but I just wanted to come on here and let everybody know that- The CEO of Starbucks, Mr. Howard Schultz, he is going to be testifying in front of Congress. I very much look forward to talking to him and hopefully making sure that union busting ceases to exist and all of the unions that have not been certified as of yet for Starbucks, they get certified. That is my job. Good to see you.
1: Good to see you, (laughs) Ben.
2: That was pretty good. That was pretty good.
1: He does a few good ones. Yeah, it's, you know, it's mixed reviews in terms of people who like the imitation. I mean, he does great imitations, but it's just a matter of, if you like that kind of thing. He's the
0: one person, and I still maintain, Bernie is the one person who is Teflon and cannot be touched. What he has to go through on a daily basis, all on his own, and what he went through to bring the national conversation on Medicare for all, living wage, Green New Deal. I mean, he really did this all by himself. His run in 2016 still doesn't get enough credit. And I still remember his intention to fight on the, you know, on the nominating floor for the nomination back in 16 and we all know something must have happened. And what I always found so interesting is that the moment he decided he was going to stop trying to fight for the nomination, that's when WikiLeaks dropped all the information about what was going on. And I still wonder if the, basically the last straw was, okay, you've threatened Bernie for the last time.
1: Was that your first um, election that you voted in?
2: The 2016 election? Yeah. No, I, w- I was too young to vote in that election. Oh, for the love of all that yeah. is
1: holy! So, when was the first time you voted?
2: Uh, 2018, I think, was the first time that I voted. Yeah.
1: Okay, so you okay? So your first presidential election was Trump Biden.
2: Yes. Oh, that's so
1: unfortunate for you. Yeah.
2: It's. Depressing. Although it's
1: all it all sucks. Like my first time voting was the first time when Bill Clinton ran. And I know know you
0: appreciate that
1: vote, uh, you still do. Let me just
0: start by saying you're a terrible person. I know you didn't vote for me. I
1: didn't vote for you. I did vote for Bill twice, and I do not feel good about that.
2: Uh, I felt really good. Yeah, I know you did. Front and back. Damn, you got all the impressions.
1: Yeah, he does. Bernie, Bill.
0: Well, of course, everyone is still uh, trying to channel my spirit. And uh, I must say, uh, Nancy has asked me to stay down and not get up again
1: doing my very best his best ones bill bernie and trump those are his best yeah
2: ones. i think the bernie one the bernie one was my favorite so far i think that's the most that's the most spot-on one honestly that's a tough one to do the bernie one
1: yeah he does it good because you almost have to get like this air in your face at yeah. the right sound <laughs> i like i know but it's the only time when i'm sitting next to him that i don't feel like i need to get a shower because <laughs> when he does Bill or Trump, I'm always, it's so I'm, I'm, I'm skeevy. Funny,
0: I'm funny how, I'm funny like I'm a clown, like I amuse you. He doesn't able, know what I'm that is because you. he's
1: really young. You've
0: never seen you've never seen Goodfellas?
1: He hasn't seen
0: Goodfellas. No, it's, that's before my time a little bit. Oh, yeah. it's
1: way before your you're time. Min,
0: you're missing out on great stuff. So
1: uh, what, what like. really got you into doing this? You know what I mean? Because you are young. I mean, obviously this isn't like, you know, something that you have like a, ho- you sort of came into this when it's already gone to shit.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I mean, for sure. I mean, when I was in like, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, Bernie played a role in like me kind of developing my politics and looking deeper into a lot of these things. But, um, you know, I I used to watch when I was in high school, I used to watch guys like uh, Kyle Kalinski and a couple other ones as well. So I kind of like knew that the independent media space existed in some sense. And so I, I was like, oh, this is like, crazy. Like people are just like in front of a, you know, camera and just like giving their random takes. Like you don't have to be on some established, you know, media outlet or something like that. And so, you know, when I got into college and I was sort of like, you know, I created a Twitter account, I think it was back in 2020, I created my Twitter account and just started like rage tweeting about the democratic primary. And then, um, you know, built up sort of a following. And then I was like, you know what, maybe I could just like start throwing some of my thoughts into videos and just started uploading it and sort of building it up ever since then.
1: Yeah, that's generally how it starts. Something enrages you. Have you ever noticed people don't jump in because they're happy with things? (laughs) I I say that all the time. Like, I really wish that I had a representative that was just not a corporate whore and just did her job. I I wish I had that. If I had that, then I would have never gotten involved in any of that. Like, that's not the preferred method, you know? And that's, so it's like, yeah, if everything was going well, you wouldn't have felt the need to jump in.
2: Yeah, for sure. I mean, it would... Yeah, I don't think I would be doing, I don't think I would be making videos or like, you know, putting my thoughts out there if if everything was sort of just like fine, if everything was sort of just like maintaining on a stable track or something. But yeah, I mean, things are just so completely ridiculous when you look. <laughs> I mean, this is something that I talk with my friends about sometimes because I have a lot of friends that aren't really like that political and like a lot of them like really the most like. You know most involved in politics that they get is just on like random side conversations with me and um you know when you describe some of these things to people who aren't tracking the day-to-day corruption that is going on behind the scenes it'll like blow people's minds when you just lay it out for them and how not even just how corrupt it is but how Open they are about it and how brazen, brazen they are. I mean, it's so, it's like in yeah. your face, disgusting. I mean, like, one of the things that I, I remember that pissed me off almost more than anything else was back uh, when we had the, the child tax credit, right? And it like slashed child poverty by a huge amount. I mean, we had like millions of kids who were, you know, pulled out of poverty. Now, obviously, there's like, you know, a bunch of uh, flaws with how we calculate poverty in this country and all of that, but, you know, it helped millions and millions of people maintain some semblance of stability, at least temporarily. And then like the arguments that were put forward by guys like Joe Manchin to to let that provision die. I mean, he was literally saying, even though we had all of the data on this, even though we knew what people were spending this money on and it was on like basic life necessities, housing, clothing for their kids, food and all of that stuff. I mean, he was going out there and saying, oh, no, mothers are actually spending this on drugs. And that's why we should end the child tax credit and, you know, plunge millions of children back into poverty. And I'm like, like, what is going on here? Or even the, you know, the negotiations surrounding the uh, initial $3.5 trillion build back better plan, which had a ton of really good provisions in it at the time. And then you have just like a, a handful of corporate ghouls, like cinema and mansion. And like, The the, the track is is right there for everybody to see like, okay, this guy is against the certain provisions of investing in addressing climate change. And oh, he also just so happens to be like a, a millionaire coal baron who has direct financial stakes in maintaining the fossil fuel industry. And he also you know, is taking massive swaths of donations from the fossil fuel industry. And it's like, this shit is not complicated. I mean, it makes my job super easy when I'm talking about these things because it's like, it's right there. If anybody wants to look at it, it's right there in your face. And yet, we have like an establishment, a corporate media ecosystem where they just don't even like talk about these things, or they just sort of accept it as the default. I mean, there were no corporate outlets at the time who were talking about these negotiations seriously, and they still, to this day, call people like Cinema and Mansion like so-called centrists or moderates. And it's like maybe they're centrists in you know the DC swamp or whatever, but they're not centrists among the American people. Right. I mean, there's just like direct conflictions. I mean, there was there was polling data at the time uh, during Build Back Better and those negotiations that showed that a vast majority of West Virginia residents wanted the three point five trillion dollar. You had like coal miners from West Virginia who were going out there and advocating for the climate provisions that were in that. And then Joe Manchin has the audacity to be like, oh, well, I'm just coming from a conservative state. What am I gonna do? You know, I have to represent my conservative voters. And it's like bullshit. I mean, that's absolute nonsense. You're just corrupt. And so, you know, obviously that, that opens the lane for a lot of people who have, you know, channels like yours and mine that, you know, that's kind of our job, I guess, is to fill that gap in what is supposed to be, you know, a, a free press in a so-called democracy where their whole job is to, you know, confront the centers of power in this country. And they're just refusing to do it because they're, you know, they have the same. They exact, are
1: the centers of power.
2: Right, they have the same exact financial interests as, uh, you know, the politicians and the, the, you know, uh, capitalists and the uh, companies that that fund those politicians as well.
1: Yeah, it's funny you bring up Joe Manchin because we have we made our pick for twenty four. Okay, so our pick, the team that we want, president and vice president, because these are the people that have the real power. Okay, Manchin, parliamentarian for twenty four. We're going with (laughs) Mansion and Parliamentarian. I Uh, don't know her name, so we just call her Parliamentarian. Well, I don't know either. um, Because you know it, well no i mean it's she is who she is whatever it doesn't matter and, and that position changes it's not even an elective position yeah. so who cares but mansion parliamentarian guys that's where the real power in the party is right there apparently they are the reason we cannot get anything done yeah so um i actually think it wouldn't matter because if it weren't joe Manchin, there'd be another baddie that's just oh, yeah. how it, it's professional wrestling it's not necessarily him he is completely disgusting Pay
0: attention to what's going on in michigan uh Representative Slotkin, uh, a CIA darling as a matter of former CIA. Or, well, you're never former CIA, you're always CIA. Uh, <laughs> representative who's now running for the U.S. Senate. And it is pretty obvious that if she were to get in there, she's the next Kirsten Cinema. that she'll just fill that, vault, that role of the rotating villain of, well, you know, we really want to get this policy done, but we just can't get it done. And this will always repeat itself, always.
2: Yeah, so, I mean. You know, we, we saw this with Obama as well. I mean, you know, how, how large of a majority did he have under his administration? And you're still super. essentially, you know, yeah, supermajority. You're still passing like right wing health care legislation. I mean, they they will limit themselves. I mean, it's not you're right. I mean, it's not, you know, we, the people Democrats like to claim the media likes to claim like, oh, you know, Joe Biden, he's doing as much as he could possibly do. It's a it's a tough split in the 50 50 Senate and all of that. It's like, oh, what man. are you talking about, man? He's not even he's not even trying like he's not even yeah. Pretending to try to challenge, you know, even Republicans. I mean, maybe lately on like Social Security, he's been a little bit better on like pushing back against them. But like, he's not even willing to challenge Republicans, let alone members of his own party who are just completely eviscerating his entire agenda. Don't have to so, do it,
0: but, they, but they don't have to do anything right
1: now. It's, the divided, it's divided
0: government.
2: Yeah, they and they now, yeah. Care.
1: They like. I actually believe that people like Democrats, people like your Nancy Pelosi's of the world, they prefer having a Republican in the White House. They prefer being in the minority party because that way they don't have to do anything and they have all the unlimited like excuses as to why. Um, And so I think they prefer it. Uh, And and that's the thing. So no, Joe doesn't care. What does Joe care one way or the other about a $15 minimum wage? Joe doesn't care. Joe will tell you that when he was a kid, you'd work full time and you'd be able to take care of yourself and everyone should just pull themselves up by their bootstraps. You know, when
0: I went to college, I had a Semester, I pay $300. Can you believe that? Yes, oh, I can, because
1: college used to be actually college affordable. Was really
0: exp- No, it was expensive. That was a lot of money back in the day. Yeah. Only today, it would be about $1,000, whereas the average college paid yeah. about 35000 or something like that. It's, just, it's such a racket, and everyone knows it's a racket. And at this point, it's like, are you going to cancel student debt? There's no point There's in so canceling student do. debt if you're not going to make public colleges and trade schools tuition-free, because the same problem will repeat itself. People want to get an education, they want to learn a skill, but they have to pay through the, you know, through the nose literally, in order to get that education. So if we're not arguing for how do we better society?
1: I paid off law school last year and I graduated wow, law really? school in 2000.
2: Well, my sister's in law school right now, so I'm sure she's going to be saddled with that for you know probably a couple of decades at least.
1: It's, it's ridiculous, it's ridiculous. And yeah. it's not serving anybody except for the people that profit at the top. It's not serving us as a society as a whole, you know, for people to have, you know, no motivation to get an education. We actually incentivize people to be stupid. Um, and it is by design. And then you hear people that are in our class in the working class that are not the owner class and they actually jump on board with the owner class with this attitude well I had to pay for my education and so now you got to pay for your education and it's like yeah but it's just when you have people that are that so every man for himself it's not surprising that we're kind of circling a And they
0: also don't understand how the system works at all they're like well I don't want to be paying for you with my tax I'm like you don't even understand how taxes work there's yeah. someone sitting
1: and counting in the, tre- I always say there's a, son- the treasurer is sitting in the office and when the taxes come in, they're counting it and then they allocate how much money they've gotten in and then decide what they can afford to do.
0: And then not only that, you know, you think about <laughs> the way education was many moons ago, you know, you're not going to see in public school, uh, arithmetic, home ec, those, the things that you need, uh, what was the one that you used to say that women would take, uh, or just like the,
1: well, it's called home ec, but, well, but like, I had to take shop also, though.
0: Shop, you know, prepper, just basic things to know how to function in society. Manage checkbook, things like that. Uh, today, it's just so bad. And I always say technology is our greatest asset and our greatest detriment at the same
1: time. We're creating drones. Oh, yeah. It's, that's point. it's way more your generation. My generation... Our brains stopped developing a long time ago, and you know we were sort of the last generation that remembers not having cell phones. Yeah, and it was—I got to tell you—life was a lot better. Yeah,
2: no, I'm I'm sure in many ways. I mean, there, you know, I mean, when I was like young, people didn't really have cell phones. Like when I was like really young, when I was in like you know middle school and stuff, and. I guess going into high school, people started getting a lot of, you know, iPhones and stuff like that. But yeah, I mean, especially with even younger than me, like people who like in my family, especially like younger, you know, maybe like 10 years old or something right now, like these kids are growing up like with an iPad screen in front of their face when they're like one. And that that to me is like, we're changing the way that humans are developing. In Cognitive development. Way. Yeah. yeah. No, Cognitive we're literally
1: changing, going... we're changing brain development. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
2: And there, there are a lot of young people who are, you know, around my age range as well. I'm not trying to like escape that, but um, you know, there are a lot of uh, people who are close to my age and around it that are like, yeah, I mean, just like, like for example, like the amount of people who are my age that I know personally in my life that like their main go-to source for like news and, and politics is like, TikTok and just like random TikToks with like the most bizarre information and misinformation you could possibly imagine. It's it's kind of alarming. I mean, it is it is alarming for a lot of different reasons. But you know, as as you were saying, I mean, this this goes a lot deeper than that. I mean, it's you know we have so many different issues that especially over the last couple of decades, with like an increasing hyper-financialization of our economy in every single sector that's just been spiraling. That it's like. You know we're grasping at straws at this point, point. and it's like capitalism is very obviously, at least in my opinion, imploding in on itself. Yes. And um, you know they're just trying trying to squeeze every bit out of us as they possibly can. I mean now we've gotten to the point. You know in my home city of Atlanta, I read a, a crazy article a couple of weeks ago on the uh, housing market, and it was like it was something crazy, like twenty five or some odd percent of you know the homes that were purchased in the city of Atlanta last year in 2022 were purchased by like BlackRock and Vanguard and all of these other massive corporations and it's like like you said I mean they're just they're creating a class of drones intentionally who are just supposed to be disposable cogs in a machine you know and not quest not question the status quo and, you know, be perpetually renting for the rest of our lives. Nobody in my generation, unless you happen to be extremely well off or fall into wealth in one way or another, we're never going to own, you know, homes or property or be able to build capital in the way that previous generations have been. And so, you know, I mean, we're we're kind of hitting a brick wall at this point.
0: I'm in commercial real estate. And I can tell you that the first thing that I instinctively do is that I will not work with a private equity firm. And anyone who knows anything about how you go after somebody like DeSantis? You go after him on economics. The fact of the matter is, Florida has basically become a breeding ground for Black Rock and Blackstone to buy up all of these communities and basically turn everybody into renters for the rest of their lives. We're serfs. And it, if literally,
2: want, literally. Yeah.
0: And and you and and there are people who want to go to war with him over certain books in school certain elements of.
1: That's important too. The problem isn't going after addressing those issues. The problem is they're not addressing the economic issue. They
0: don't go after the economic issue because this gets back to the whole point about the fact that the Democratic Party is just as filthy and corrupt as the Republican Party in just different ways. If we are not talking about the fact that you have these representatives that are bought and paid for by corporate special interests like the Democratic Party of Florida, which is run by Debbie Wasserman Schultz, when you are funded by Big Sugar, FPL. NextEra, which owns Walmart. the card Walmart. Uh, it, it's like, you, you got people down here complaining about the fact that Publix, which is rated the best f- uh, supermarket chain in the country, happens to be conservative and happens to fund DeSantis to a lot of money, yet the Democrats are taking all this money from the Walton family. Right. It's, it's like, where are you winning? Where, where do you think you're you winning know on this argument? You're not. Did you
1: see the Russell Brand clip with him on, yeah. and, okay. So that's the same thing. We're like this, per- I can't remember that guy's Prime name. Except, he you know with what? a straight face was actually saying that MSNBC was the real news and Fox was propaganda. And it's just, this is, it's well, John so Heilman,
0: Well, John Heilman and Mark Halpern, if you remember, Mac, were two of the biggest like anti-Bernie voices for right. Joe and Rachel Maddow. Anybody on MSNBC, they were the go-to guys to basically say, that b- b- Bernie, you're a nice guy, but it's, it, it, it's it's we've got to be realistic here. And so Russell comes on, and even something as simple as just talking about the fact that whether you agree with ivermectin or not, they were saying that humans were taking horse paste, and if there was maybe a handful, no surprises that there could have been a couple of. You know, back, you know, backwards conservatives in rural America that took the horse pace because they didn't know any better. That's totally different. This suggestion that, oh, you guys are just taking horse pace, you have to, you really have to take a step back and say, you're deliberately lying to the American people. Why are you doing that? Could it be because we have a for profit health? It's not health care, it's a health system that is designed to make as much money as possible. So if anyone, regardless of whether they're hurting themselves, is not going to be getting their double shot they're you know their booster if you're not further perpetuating the for-profit system think about how much better the pandemic alone would have been if we had universal health care how much more trusting people would have been if they took the for-profit motive out of the equation i mean yeah. as simple as yeah. that well, our
1: last health gu- our last guest that we had on about his book who's a doctor he would say we do have health care in this country what we don't have is health. And that's because healthcare is not the only thing that leads to health. Income inequality is the biggest source of our sick country. And that is that. That was the whole point of the book. Bu- Were you not paying attention? No, I was we have health care. We have great health care. We have great health care in this country. But if you can the- afford it. Right. Well, yeah, right. that's the thing. No, we have great quality healthcare here. That is not the issue. And even availability of health care isn't the only issue. Because we- let's say everyone had healthcare. The income inequality in this country is still going to continually perpetuate health outcomes that make us lesser than other countries. That was the point of his book, our life expectancy, our maternal rate, all of those numbers that you look at for collective health. We're 51 or so, by the way. Mac, did you know that? We're about 51. Very proud. Wow. Proud, yeah. Um, and, and if you see it where it's less than that, it's only because they're only including countries of a certain population. But if mm-hmm. you actually include you know, all countries, we're 51-ish. And um, even if we had health care, you're still having such income inequality that you're still going to still have groups of people that are getting substandard because it's affecting our genetics. That's the point. If you haven't seriously, it's a great book. It's called "Inequality Kills Us All," and it really talks about how just the inequality in and of itself is causing health, physiological health mutations um, in our bodies that are making us a less healthy country.
2: That um, I was actually just recently because I was, you know, doing a little bit of background research before I made one of my videos on Marianne Williamson, and and part of what her 2020 platform was at the time was, you know, I think she called it like her whole health approach to you know healthcare in the country and she was pretty much making the exact same argument that you were just laying out there where you know she was saying yeah of course we want you know something like medicare for all we want a universal single-payer healthcare system and all of that but it goes a lot deeper than that right it's about you know a lack of regulation on the foods that we eat and the health standards that we have it's yeah. about a lack of regulations on you know pollutions in our environment or chemical pollutions right i mean if you as you said like you know because of our wealth and income inequality in this country you know if if you happen to live in a, a district that is poorer, or you happen to live in a community that is disproportionately, uh, you know, minority community or disproportionately a poor community in this country, you're way more likely to be, you know, closer to to, to a lot of those environmental, uh, you know, uh, environmental hazards, right? Where you know all of these different uh, you know, factories and industry and all of that. And it's yeah, I mean, it's it's obviously a, a multi-layered thing that we have to address, but it gets down to the same core root of the problem at the end of the day which is that, you know, we have a government that is purely in service of uh, corporate America, and we allow them to just run all over us and, uh, you know, do whatever they want. I actually just saw a hilarious article a couple of days ago. I think Kyle Kalinske covered it on his channel today. Um, but I think it was Lucky Charms was, was threatening to sue the government, threatening to push back with their, you know, massive lobbying power, because there was some sort of like a a new regulatory measure that was put forward that was saying, you know, if you have X amount of sugar in your uh, product or X amount of, you know, other chemicals in your product, you can't openly market it as being healthy for children. And so they're turning around and they're threatening this massive lobbying blitz because they want to be, able. they literally said it like this. They said, this is a violation of our free speech. Oh yeah. Right. Free speech. As if like, It's free speech for corporations to just lie to the American people, to just lie about the negative consequences of their products, of their services. I mean, it's just laughable. And honestly, they're probably going to succeed. They're probably going to get this, you know, mild step in the right direction in terms of, uh, you know, uh, health regulations. They're probably going to get it overturned.
1: And you know where you see that the most, which is really interesting. And for anybody who has traveled, and this is something we also talked about with, Um, our last guest is people who've never been to other countries have no frame of reference and there's, especially in regards to stuff like this. So when you're in, um, in anywhere, I think in the union, in the EU, anywhere over there where they have like say Cheerios, right? They are, have completely different standards. So they weren't allowed to have GMOs in, um, in their food. Same company. So General Mills over there was somehow able to do it without GMOs because they have those regulations because they protect their people. We specifically don't protect our people. Same companies, different yeah. products. Um, it's it's disgusting.
2: Yeah, it goes across industries as well. I mean, it's like, it's the same exact thing with uh, big pharma. It's like, you know, what, it, we, we yeah. look at it as if it's some sort of like an inevitability that In the United States, we have to pay 10x what people in Canada are paying for the same exact drugs from the same exact companies that cost the same exact amount to make. And it's like, you know, we're just it's just a decision. It's just a choice. It's a political choice to allow us to get shafted in these ways.
0: And here I am thinking that General Mills is going to be suing on behalf of Lucky Charms to basically say, No, we have every right to put sugar as much as we want into our cereal. Instead, they're suing for, we have every right to say our food is healthy.
2: (laughs) Oh
1: my God. Isn't saying they're magically delicious enough? Isn't that enough? (laughs) You're four
0: leaf clovers. (laughs) They're magically delicious. Red, red, uh, no, yellow yellow horseshoes. Oh, when you do
1: that, it's just not right.
0: Green trees, blue diamonds, and red balloons.
1: I, no, it's green clovers.
0: Green clovers? <laughs> I said blue diamonds, yellow horseshoes, and red balloons. That's I mean, I can't remember the last time that I had cereal, much less a sugar cereal. Well, he
1: doesn't eat sugar. He has nothing. There's yeah. nothing fun about what he eats. Mac, let me tell you, man,
0: I'm I'm about to turn 40, and I tell oh everybody, God. if you really want to know how to just, like, stay young and look youthful, Jen's in her 50s, which is hard to believe, uh, you, you can... You got you got to manage when you eat. That's important, timing wise. That's not my advice. And you gotta you gotta watch the sugar, man. I mean, my advice. And
1: people, I'll have people tell me because yeah, I am I'm pushing fifty two this year, and um and the the answer for me is cannabis and Pilates. That's what I cannabis and Pilates, correct?
2: Well, I'm definitely, I'm definitely getting the cannabis part of that equation. Right. And I do, I do get consistent exercise. I work out every day, but uh, yeah, I can't say that I'm, I can't say that I'm doing too well in terms of eating healthy in any way, shape or form.
1: That's not good, man. But that's, you're, uh, you're young. that's you the advantage.
0: That's the advantage of being under 25, but pretty soon right. it'll be, uh, you know, you gotta, I mean, listen, you, it's not that hard but you're at a point right now where, yeah, you can have pizza three or four times a week. But eventually, I can have pizza that's going well, week. Well, I know you can, but you know you gotta have like <laughs> a lot of discipline. Last thing before you go, uh, one of the reasons that we obviously do are doing what we're doing. Uh, as a matter of fact, I think I told you just before we came on the air next Wednesday, we are gonna have next week Monday. We're having on Workers Strike Back, so we're having on a panel from uh, the. We don't group know then,
1: if she's coming.
0: Shama is unlikely to come, so don't hold your breath.
1: I want her. To, on though.
0: Wednesday, we are having The Amazing Atheist. And so oh, wow. I often say, you know, if our show is about transforming politics in the service, you have to cross pollinate with as many different people as you can. Now, granted, there's one person who has officially been removed from the list. Michael
2: Knowles. I went
1: on who, his show. I've been on his show. I When did you
2: go show? on his show?
1: Okay, Probably so like I. Six months ago? Or I, no, I, and I don't remember when it was, but it was. I was brought, I, they asked me to come on. It was one segment, and, and I'm glad that it was just one segment because it wasn't like we were talking about anything that I had any real passion about. And it was about um, he basically needed a token progressive that wasn't in favor of mask mandates. So that would be, (laughs) me. so I was the, I was the token leftist that also didn't support mass man. And that was essentially my role in the discussion But before I went on the segment before me, he was using the term illegal aliens. And so then I came on and for me, I'm just promoting my channel. I'm going to say what I'm going to say, regardless, I don't care, whatever, but yeah, no, now I'm that, that is he, he, and I am a hundred percent pro free speech. I think he should say whatever he wants. I think people should be able to say hate speech. I don't care what people say. I don't want to go talk to him, and then everyone has a choice to not go talk. It wasn't to
0: like he had a slip of the tongue, it wasn't like he no. was pontificating that's on something crazy that just talk. really hurt him or that was in his way. He stood on the stage at CPAC for millions to hear and say we have to eradicate, eradicate. yeah, uh, we have to eradicate trans people.
1: Oh, no, and he didn't say trans people, he said trans transgender ideology right, or whatever which is what the was same, And he's saying, same Oh, that's thing. a distinction. The hell it is. That's a distinction with no difference. Yeah. Uh yeah. And, I'm not, I'm gotta, not down
0: with that. I got to tell you, if, if you've ever seen like the candid photos of him, like when he's smiling, it looks like an alien is trying to. <laughs> it does. No, remove for real. Itself it does. On his
2: body. it's very uncomfortable. It's, it's kind of like that with all of them. It's like, they're trying. Yeah. It's kind of They're like, you're trying to figure out how to be a human. It's, it's honestly bizarre. I don't think any of them would, would have me on their shows. Honestly, I've had some back and forth with Matt Walsh before. I don't think I've ever gotten into it with, Michael Knowles, but um, yeah, I mean, I've, I've gotten into it with a lot of guys like Ian Miles strong that that weird dude who's always posting yeah. on Twitter, and um, yeah, I've it's had like
0: a lot he's, of he's he's height challenged. Always I, be wary of guys that are height challenged. Oh, it's don't always, you know
1: what? I don't think it's, I, I think that for me, I just tend to be when it comes to things like civil liberties, um, and things like Second Amendment that they all kind of like approve my message. So even though I believe in like I'm. I'm getting lefter and lefter. He thinks I'm gonna fall off the side. You but know, like that's a good I, thing. No, come to I the, know. Come I, I know,
2: socialist camp. Yeah. No, no, no.
1: I'm I'm beyond like I'm I'm over there almost with the people that are not even on the spectrum anymore. Like I'm getting to where honestly, I want to live in a cob house in the woods and like have <laughs> goats and chickens and shit, man. And I don't care about borders and I don't care about what country you're from. And people are people like that's where I'm going. People
2: are. Yeah. So so
1: I'm like way over there. But like they like that. I'm very strong about civil liberties, including I don't have a problem with the Second Amendment, and a lot, of course, I get crap from the progressives, and I don't take a big stand on that. Well,
0: real progressives and actually real libertarians actually have a lot more in common than they're willing to admit. Now, of course, when it comes down to the foundation of economics, particularly when it comes down to modern monetary theory, you talk to a libertarian about, I mean, we had Clint Russell um, on our podcast, um, you know, just like a couple of weeks ago, and his explanation regarding uh, modern monetary theory was somebody who, with all due respect, doesn't understand economics. No. So no. It, it's, uh it is what it is. But if but, we're
1: willing to stand on, the, I'm willing to stand with him on the same side and be anti-war and we could sit like, we, you got to work on what we agree with. Correct. That's yeah. what we're you'll trying have, to do You'll here. have
0: somebody like a Clint Russell who is a true principled libertarian and I've seen him call out Jack Posevic. Like, there is, there are principled people out there. And You know, Tim Poole is a friend. Uh, we've had, these really solid conversations with a number of people, and by have friend, we mean
1: co-content creator right.
0: friendly. No, I okay. it. Yeah. I'm,
1: cl- I'm just clarifying that for you. It's not like we're hanging out, no, all we're right? Not,
0: well, I've been not on his sick. show too. You know, we see this as what did they? Call you me? have to be. Uh, I don't know.
1: Communist don't know. Karen.
0: And well, again, <laughs> it, even if if you go on <laughs> Tim Pool's show and he's got fifty thousand people watching. And only 5,000 people agree with your message. That's still 5,000 people that agree with your message and understand the value of bringing in that many more people into the fold. You can have that conversation with Tim Pool and then Jen, who I will tell you, the, the biggest content creator on the left, who I think is... I think you two have like an infatuation for each other. I really guys. do
1: like him and I have uh, no, and it's, I, it, I just, Va- you know, Vosh.
0: Vosh is a huge, huge supporter of Jen. And- we, he, oh, really? we, we have a,
1: yeah. yeah, I just, you know what? I don't know what it is. I just, I, he and I get along very well. And again, that doesn't mean I agree with him on everything. Yeah. I actually, I know people find this fascinating, Mac. I actually have friends. And we don't agree on everything. And that's I know crazy. It's crazy. And yeah. and I even have friends where I don't have to like all of their friends. You know what I mean? Like, I know yeah. it's a bizarre, crazy thing. Like, I get crap for everyone I talk to. And it's like, I'm not compromising things. I can still have conversations if we're, with people. If yeah. we're
0: ever, ever going to get where we want to go, and I think this is emblematic of what just happened like with gosh. the anti-war rally <laughs> that happened in D.C. recently, is that Yes, the anti-war rally makes total sense and everyone who wants to be there should be there. But if you don't realize that there are certain people in movements that are going to bring them down, whether because they are emceeing the event or they are speaking at the event. And you don't take that into consideration when you're trying to build a movement where not a thousand people show up at your rally, but 10,000 people show up at your rally. The only way that's going to happen is having a smart, structured approach to how this gets built out if you can't do that then we are just going to continue to stand in a circular firing squad and as people on the left who are trying to build a robust labor movement final thoughts how do you do you agree with what was just said and how do you see it growing more exponentially than it has been
2: yeah. I mean, there's a couple of different things there. I mean, in terms of like the, the cross-pollination between independent media, I mean, I'm all for that. I, there's nobody.
3: Yeah.
0: I,
2: I honestly, like I've tried my very best throughout the time that I've been in online spaces to not get into any like online beefs, probably just number one, because it doesn't interest me. Like it seems like it's just a waste of everybody's time. Like it's just not, it's not fun for me. I know some people like that sort of like heated back and forth and everything, but I think I'm pretty much on good terms with the entirety of you know, every major left-wing, you know, commentator that I know. So that's independent media. I mean, 100%. If any of those guys wanted to have me on their shows, even if they're right-wingers, Tim Pool, whoever it may be, I'll 100% go on their show. And I saw, you know, I saw Vosha's appearance actually to to circle back around to him when he went on Tim Pool. And it's like, you know, as you said, maybe you'll convince some, you know, fraction of the audience to come over to your side on some certain issues. But also beyond that, it's like, you're also just giving them, a a portrayal of what, you know, a socialist looks like or what, you know, a leftist looks like in, in a reasonable way where, you know, they're not just getting that typical sort of framing where like, oh, everybody on the left or everybody who's a progressive, they're just these deranged, crazy people. And then you have a you know sit down conversation with somebody like Bosch and he's just like calmly explaining his positions. And you figure out you have a lot of overlap in some areas that you didn't know about. And so, yeah, I'm 100 percent for that when it comes to uh, independent media. But, you know, beyond that, in terms of how we how we actually build up this movement. I mean, obviously, you know, independent media is going to have to play a massive role in that because clearly corporate media is not going to be doing the job for us. Um, So, you know, I think that's an important part of it. But, you know, also just just focusing on, you know, building a movement from the ground up, focusing on, you know, labor power, focusing on direct action, focusing on, you know, joining local organizations within your community and trying to build it up from that level. And, uh, you know, eventually working that into, I guess, the political system for some level of disruption, however, that that may take that form.
1: Are you and you're in Atlanta? You said that, right?
2: I was in Atlanta. I actually just recently moved up to uh, D.C. So I'm in D.C. now. I had a, a job that I, I had to come do.
1: Yeah. Well, when are we going to be in D.C.? You want to you get together when we're up there? You want to come have a beverage? Yeah. with Would that be yeah. cool? Want to come yeah. have a better? We're going to be Absolutely. up there for um, the Assange rally in Oh, May. when's that? It's in on May, May 3rd. And, um, and so, yeah, I'm going to, I don't know when you're going, but we're going to be there for the rally for sure. I'll be there for two nights, but yeah, we're, and I'm trying you know, look, the more the merrier for sure at the Assange rally, especially if you're local.
2: Yeah. I didn't, I honestly didn't know about that rally until right now, but I'll I'll definitely go to that. It's in DC. It's from the
1: Assange defense people. Like it's that it's the same group. And then you also just scheduled Kevin Costolo to come on and talk about his new book. That's an Assange book. Yes. Very exciting stuff. So
0: that'll probably be at the end of the month. Yeah, I've
1: been like uh, harping on the Assange thing for the better part of 15 years. And um, it's only been at the past few years where I've even had a platform. Well, So now I, I've been harping on it before I had a platform, but now I actually can harp on it publicly. It's also
0: what got her on the radar and got our channel shadow banned, basically. So Yeah, well, because I
1: did a live stream for Julian Assange um, yeah, early okay. on when we started with Katie Halper, And we had some pretty, I mean, we had Chris hedges. We, we had some amazing people, like really big name. I mean, on that. And yeah, then that was when we started getting like banned and fine,
2: but yeah, well, you know what, at least you guys are being principled. At least you guys are sticking to, uh, you know, issues that actually, that actually matter at the end. Oh, of
0: come it. on, Mac. Don't you just want to bad mouth other content creators and have like fun?
1: Scooby and Shaggy. Listen, <laughs> I, I'm
0: sorry. <laughs> We're friendly with, with, with the Vanguard I, I, stuff. You, co- you, you gotta to it. call it like. You gotta it call it. You gotta call it as. Yeah. Thank
1: you so much for coming on and chatting with us, and we'll definitely, you know, connect. I like to be around the younger people um, when I'm when I'm out and about. When I'm around people my age, it's just yeah, everybody well, has ailments and needs to go home by nine. And we'll, it's yeah. like a bunch of.
0: We'll coordinate the email, but definitely, yeah. you know, the first week of May we'll be in DC. Let's definitely make a plan to get. To
2: yeah, absolutely. All right, guys, I'm, I'm looking forward to it.
0: Guys, make sure you check out Good Politics Seriously, Guy he's got
1: on really YouTube, good content.
0: as well as on Twitter. His takes are really, really funny. He's
1: very smart for a young person. No,
0: he's a really great guy. I totally like this guy. <laughs> he's really smart. Oh really uh, yeah,
2: yeah. Thank you.
1: But he's you. not
0: smarter than me, believe me.
1: No one is. Thank <laughs> you, Matt. Thanks,
2: Mac. Guy's back. Yeah, of course. Anytime, guys. See you.
1: Bye. You know what? That is one of the reasons why I like Vosh as much as I do. Because when I first started watching him, just the fact that, first of all, he's extremely young. And and there is a certain amount it's of like- It's well beard. It is, well, the, I don't know that, like, not that the beard, but like, there's a certain amount of almost like, maternal things when the people are really young and also when they're extremely smart. Sure. And it's, and, and talk philosophy. It's like, it's just speaking my language. He just speaks my language. Kevin
0: Gostola, uh, Doug, a friend of the show says that uh, he interviewed Daniel Ellsberg the other day. Mr. Ellsberg, unfortunately is dying from cancer. And uh, I mean, listen, he's what? 91. When did 92. you
1: schedule Kevin to come uh, on? I'm going to try to get
0: Kevin on at the end of the month. I yeah. Guess I, I need time to read the book. Uh, confirmed They're yet. sending
1: me the publisher, sending me the, copy, right, the so advanced copy of the book, and then I got to read the book. I like to, you guys know, I like to take. it. So
0: Kevin will be our guest on Monday, March twenty seventh. So uh, book should be here, and in, it you
1: know, is the case. new book. All I know is that it is about Julian Assange. It's about the the past few years, uh, really. I mean, and and that's all I know about it. So I'm sure sh- I'm sure it's good because he has been like really up close and personal with this. We've had him on a couple times. We've had him on a few times actually. Um, And he's just a really good guy.
0: Well, on Monday, as we mentioned, we will have on "Workers Strike Back. On Wednesday, we will have on, we will have on two very important guests on Wednesday. So on Wednesday, we will first be speaking with the new chair of the Florida Democratic Party, Nikki Freed, former commissioner of agriculture and former candidate for governor of Florida. Uh, So there will be a lot to talk about there. Uh, very important uh, in terms of the direction of the future of the Florida Democratic Party and uh, I'm some... hopeful
1: she will come yes. now now there are scenarios where we've said that and things and it doesn't work out and people don't come that's true and it does happen and this is somebody who is in a statewide office right now and so it's sometimes running around being a chairperson of a whole state party
0: and we will also have on the amazing atheist who is returning to uh, a, He's
1: way interesting to talk to guys. He's really interesting to talk oh, yeah.
0: to. And of course, if uh even though this has been a feels like a shadow band uh live stream tonight, but you know, we have those every once in a while. That's
1: okay. Metalopoly, you can still watch because we don't just sit there and just talk about religion. In fact, that just happens to be the name of his show. We actually talk about a whole bunch of different things. My opinion um,
0: about January sixth is that. Trump did everything in his capacity to push the envelope as far as possible to try to get the election turned in his favor. Do I think that there were members of the shadow government that irritated the crowd to the point in which they were getting more and more uh, restless? Yes, I do, because I think to deny the fact that we have dishonest actors in government that want things to be chaotic because it maintains the divisions amongst the working class, yes. Yes. But again, Trump bears responsibility as his others do 100%. Do I think that there are people that have been incarcerated that have been treated unfairly as a result? Absolutely. There's no question. But rest assured that the goal, the end goal of the oligarchic class is to have a police state, to have everybody under a watchful eye and everybody be a serf.
1: Well, everybody's a serf one way or the other kind of right now. Sure. Because you have the incarcerated serfs, which is the highest, like the biggest form of serfdom, you know, that are, that's basically, it's slavery. It is, it's slavery. And when you hear people talking about abolition, that's what they're talking about. We have a criminal justice system that's slavery. We have like 2 million people incarcerated in this country. It's slavery. And then the people that aren't incarcerated that are busting ass to work three jobs just to be able to live and still can't afford to have health care. I would argue that that's indentured servitude.
0: What I also (laughs) love is that there was over 100,000 people that showed up at the protest in DC, there was only about 500 people that actually went into the building. And of the people that went into the building, they want to highlight the people that showed up at the event that had a lot of money. Yet I can guarantee you that the overwhelming majority of people that showed up at the protests are working class stiffs that are desperate for anything. Well, right. And
1: I said this not that long ago, the majority of people there were not part of that insurrection. The majority of people that were there, that were on the mall, that were whatever, weren't part of that. And, you know, I don't know. We like to make things be Colonello,
0: that's what i'm that's what i'm saying i'm saying that while you know like i said trump was definitely pushing the envelope that we totally have to go to the Capitol. we have to go there we have to show he incited a a riot yeah he
1: incited a riot
0: do i think that it was going to turn into a riot if it wasn't for let's say the police and the fbi and the cia and whoever was there kind of egging people out to do stuff maybe not but here's what i will say how did they get into the Capitol?
1: Well, and that's something that's interesting. So if we do have the largest police military state in the world, which we, we do, do. And
0: we certainly have it in DC. Right, I'm sure you would Right,
1: and and if you have that, and if you even have word that something like this could happen.
0: No one is getting in that building. But see, here's the thing. No like, one.
1: What would, you would think there'd be preparation unless, unless they wanted this to happen to some extent to did. make it look as, well- and again, I'm not saying there's some like tinfoil head conspiracy thing like, oh, yes, they're all working together. To make it. But I definitely think that they weren't really going to bother getting in the way of it because they wanted it to somewhat be like, you know, let them look as ridiculous as they did. And
0: to this day, never forget <coughs> that the overwhelming majority of the early footage that you saw on that day was from Status Quo News. Yes. And they still have never been given proper credit for that footage. That was Jordan Chariton's cameraman. Uh, I think John. If I I remember remember. correctly, who was actually the one trailing the guys running into the Capitol? They took the footage, that was never gave him credit ever,
1: and then suppressed his channel when he put his own footage up. That's what happened. Can't
0: doubt it. And so with that said, Patreon.com forward slash generational change. If you guys like our nuanced takes on everything politics, we do not play the stupid a uh, hacky game of well, it's our side, so let's just act like it's no. Not a we do deal. not Blab do blah, blah,
1: that. Blah. We don't have a side. I am without side.
0: For as little as five, to John Farina, thank you, Travers, for as little as five dollars a month, you can become a patron of our show. Anyone who is a five dollar patron will now get the Lulu sticker, as you Do-do-do. can see here, and in the ten bucks a month, you are going to get the Lulu sticker and the Mansion Parliamentarian, Parliamentarian bumper, bumper sticker, sticker. You guys, seriously, definitely want consider those that.
1: Consider that pairing. if
0: That's not enough if you are so generous to be a $25 a month patron, you will not only get the two stickers, but you will also get the tri-blend generational change baseball jersey, soft as silk. You definitely know you want one, so make sure you sign Metalopoly. it.
1: Metalopoly, he started it year and a half before. He started it by being him and being insightful and threatening and doing it for a year and a half before. And by the way, I do not have Trump derangement syndrome. I I never liked him from the eighties, but he's just a douche. I don't think of it one way or the other, but he started that when he started campaigning like that whole mindset, that rallying up anger and violence mindset. I can show you, I can show
0: you footage of Trump on the (laughs) night of the election When it looked like he was way ahead, but of course, the mail-in ballots hadn't been counted yet. Obviously, people forget very easily how bad things were for the country, particularly in 2020. I mean, my whole business was shut down. I didn't have a means for really making a living. I had to find different paths. And so for so many people who were afraid to, let's say, stand in line to vote, many people were choosing to vote by mail. Trump was telling his supporters not to vote by mail. And that by counting the votes on election night when only X amount of states had been called, he was nowhere near the 270 threshold in order to win the election. He's saying, we're counting the votes and it looks really great and it looks like we're going to win. As a matter of fact, we did win. So when you start talking like that.
1: You incite people. You incite people.
0: to basically say, you oh, say, well, I guess you stole it from us. Then.
1: Right. When you say things that aren't true and you know people believe you and you know that there's a responsibility in what you say, well, in theory there should be, um, then yeah, that's that's inciting. So I understand what you're saying about that day, but I, I look at this in a cumulative way. And in a cumulative way, his entire presidency from campaign to second impeachment was nonstop inciting, just the whole time. Inflammatory, inciting, it just was. And
0: then all of a sudden Trump does a 180 in December when he's on his way out the door to basically try to get people another round of surplus checks. And of course, Pelosi and the rest of them and McConnell saw to it that it didn't happen, uh, which I always thought was so perplexing. And then the next thing you know, he's he's saying we totally have to go to the Capitol on January 6th. And it's it again, uh,
1: I actually care about justice very much. It's
0: still very likely, as crazy as it sounds, it's still very likely that he's going to be the president again and It is
1: Groundhog Day here, people. You guys
0: just got to brace yourselves because I'm telling you, it has everything to do with the system and nothing more. The system is so perpetually broken that somebody like Donald Trump, the first time people lost their mind. Let me tell you, comfortable liberal America, I... Hold on. Hold on tight because those people are literally going off the cliff when he gets back in. Well, and
1: then it's kind of scary when I tell them, when they get all upset about that, I'm like, okay, well, you know, would you prefer Ron DeSantis? Oh, they don't like that either. I'm like, you really are very out of touch with what is going on. And
0: and let me leave you guys with this thought. Remember this, regardless of whether or not you think Marion Williamson is going to mount some kind of challenge, here's all you need to know. The Democratic Party as a whole has no bench. And the reason they have no bench is because of what they have systemically done to Bernie Sanders and his movement over the past eight years. They have done everything in their power to stifle it, to stop it from growing, to basically sidelining any real legitimate people that in can come and to the the forefront In and out of Congress once they're in.
1: And yeah, once you get in, it's the same thing.
0: Even somebody like Tulsi Gabbard had to be ushered out. Now, of course, she went off the deep end, but don't think for a second that one of the reasons she did is because the party made her an example for endorsing Bernie Sanders over Hillary Clinton. And then all of the other things that came about as a result Basically uh kneecapping AOC in terms of what she was doing when she first got oh, to Congress. Oh, Colinello, we
1: disagree. You think even if he gets a nomination, he won't get elected Colonnello, except for the Democrats. If it's Trump
0: versus Biden again, Trump's, Trump's gonna winning. win. End of discussion.
1: Biden barely won in a pandemic. And now he's been there and hasn't done anything. And um, honestly, you shouldn't say that because, yes, I actually think the only thing that can stop him would be a primary. And
0: I do think more and more people are going to be motivated to vote for Trump this time around. Out of spite. Out of spite, considering what has happened, considering how I, I have been saying this for almost three years. Yeah. Joe Biden was the worst possible outcome for this country as a result of Donald Trump, because What you're going to find out very quickly is that the reason why Trump got elected in the first place is because of governance by the likes of Barack Obama and Joe Biden.
1: Neoliberalism leads us in this direction. That's just how it goes. And so, yeah, we still haven't learned our lesson because we just haven't. And so, yeah, we're doomed to keep repeating it over and over. You
0: need Bernie Sanders in the Senate right now to get union busting Howard Schultz, to respond to a subpoena. You are never gonna hear a word, a single word from the President of the United States about this Senate hearing.
1: He won't say
0: a word about it and certainly is in no favor whatsoever of supporting Bernie. He's not going to come out and say, yeah, you know, I support my friend Bernie. I think yeah. those union people, they definitely deserve their support. He tepidly agreed and celebrated the first unionized effort in Buffalo, New York for Starbucks. You have not heard a word since then. No, not a word. you
1: just heard him fuck the railroad workers. Big I heard time. that very loudly. That was sort of, that was for me, I think, my final nail in the coffin of like, now I don't think that there's any possible universe. Because it used to be for me, okay, maybe if he would like pardon Assange and Leonard Peltier and Snowden and all those guys, like maybe I would consider voting for him over whoever it is. Let me tell you how. Now I just there's no chance. Let me tell you
0: how bad it's gotten. Ruben Gallego, who was running for the U.S. Senate in Arizona, just threw Pete Buttigieg under the bus today and basically let everyone know how scummy he is and everybody he's worked with at McKinsey. Because apparently he had to do work for them at some point. The second that starts happening, where it's not even a leak, it's basically public statement, basically saying Pete Buttigieg sucks, that's the end of his What took this career. person
1: so long to come forward, Because it I was politically,
0: Because it's politically safe now to do it. That's He's why. Disgusted. So that's it for Buttigieg.
1: Well, he was never going to get anywhere really anyway. It wasn't like that was going anywhere. They don't have anybody. Their best bet would probably be Gavin Newsom. Yeah. and And he has no chance. No of winning in a general election. This is
0: all, this is their party's fault. And this was all to stop Bernie Sanders and Bernie's movement. That was the goal. And that is why due to a once in a millennium pandemic or not even a millennium, I shouldn't even say that, but once in a century pandemic, the idea that we are now facing another Trump presidency or a DeSantis presidency has everything to do with a system that doesn't respond to working people anymore because corporate special interests have captured our government and both parties are guilty. And the only person who's out there saying anything that is resembling some kind of populist initiative towards working people, yes, Marianne Williamson is saying it, but somebody who has name recognition, money viability, Donald Trump is the only one who's doing it. And let me tell you something, if Ron DeSantis is stupid enough to sign this six week abortion ban here in Florida, Kiss it goodbye. Trump will bury his ass where he stands on the national stage. He is totally against women. He totally doesn't support their right to choose. He's a terrible person and it's gonna work. And then I'll get to the general election. Joe Biden has totally destroyed America. He's totally hurt the working class. I totally would have taken care of those people in East Palestine and we would be doing. And it doesn't matter if you believe him or not. It matters that he's saying it and, he and people are gonna the, believe and it. And he
1: actually was the first person to go.
0: He gave you five days to get your ass over there and you wouldn't do it. Crazy. Unreal.
1: Where were you, Pete? Pete didn't want to go breathe the dirty air in East Palestine.
0: And then he showed up in that freaking getup. Oh, Lord. I
1: didn't see it and I can't (laughs) stomach him. It's
0: just so bad. And this, again, is just a reflection of how far the party has sunk.
1: Was it like a worthy of a kente cloth uh, tails? Okay. But I will tell you guys this.
0: The reason why at this current moment, and rightfully so, you don't take a candidacy like Marianne Williams is seriously, is because she has no money. And you can't <clears> run <throat> a presidential campaign of any type of substance if you can't fundraise, you can't inspire enough people to basically say, I believe in what you're doing. And again, look at what she actually said during her interview with Jonathan Capehart when pressed on the idea of, will you support the Democratic nominee? And it's this whole we are living in an era of fascism on the reply. No, you're giving them free reign to rig the primary against you too. And you're going to come and do the same thing. It's not going to work. No one's gonna believe you and no one's gonna put up their money and their fighting effort to do that.
1: I just think it further serves to deflate a movement that's already so deflated since how Bernie was treated. I just think it's, and it's taking time and money and resources away from building a bench and races that would be infinitely more viable at local and congressional levels. And that it's just, um, it's silly. I'm not
0: saying here and now that Donald Trump is gonna be the president of the United States again, but heed our words and our warning do not underestimate this man, and do not <laughs> underestimate the possibility he's getting back in there again.
1: Well, I right mean, it's now, him or DeSantis. Like yeah, and the only well, you know, and look, I, I still, you know, hold out that <clears throat> they, they're still trying desperately to find a way to legally preclude Trump from running again. Like, there's definitely people that that's what they're working on from all legal avenues. But barring that from happening, uh, I, I don't see anything that's in his way other than possibly DeSantis. Um, yeah, but no, the that's that, the it's, fight.
0: The, the, the presidential primary, if you will, are those two. Because the Democratic Party is doing everything in their power to lose the election in 24.
1: She'll be destroyed for a lot of reasons. She'll be destroyed because when they have no qualifications. When they, actually
0: have, when they actually have to come after her, and they will, it's not going to be pretty.
1: Well, it won't take long. It'll be no. like a house of cards.
0: So. Let the let, you know, listen, if they're going to attack her in a way, again, the only thing that can save a campaign like that is if the people get pissed enough at the establishment that they just don't care what, well, and what it there is. is.
1: And there will be support to that extent, but it's nowhere. It, it, it's not even going to get close to five percent. So it doesn't it doesn't matter. It just Unless takes we're looking time and at a resources. scenario.
0: Where Remember, the reason why Bernie's campaign in 2016 was so spectacular is because people were actually turning their own homes into campaign offices because the Democratic Party saw to it at the local level, whether in South Carolina, New Hampshire, Iowa, or anywhere in between, that if you go to a local Democratic Party office, you will find nothing for Bernie Sanders. Everything is there for Hillary Clinton. Just as they were doing systemic rigging of the primary throughout, people decided, no, I'm going to fight for this man, and I'm going to fight tooth and nail for this man. If you are are not seeing people fight for Marianne at at that kind of a level, it's not going
1: anywhere. And the thing is, is that the kind of person who can get that is somebody who really speaks to working class people and somebody who really speaks to labor. And the other thing I would suggest, and again, I, you know, look, this is something that, that is just the truth. And as soon as people start digging, but it's like, There needs to be certain base qualifications for being the chief executive of this country. There do, I'm sorry, this is not Congress where it's the people's house and you just want everyday Joe just in there. There are certain base qualifications to be the chief executive officer of this country. I would suggest that people have either executive work experience or education, higher education would be helpful. Uh, Business education might be helpful. I would suggest that previous elected experience would be helpful. But in general, somebody that has executive work experience, there needs to be basic qualifications. And the bottom line is she doesn't have any.
0: Best hope that you can hope for is that if by some miracle she figures out a way to garner a substantial amount of support because the Democratic Party sees to it to keep Biden right where he is, and it is the two of them going head to head. The one advantage that Marianne would actually have is the fact that Biden is the president and if she's for real, could actually negotiate real terms for the left because he has executive action at his disposal. But she
1: already just said she would jump on board.
0: So either you're going to actually do something legitimate by saying, if you want the support, you're only getting it. And don't give me this after the election. No, you could do it right now. She now, ain't no right Shama Sawant. So, so that's, <laughs> the, that's the fighting spirit that one needs. Now, I don't mind the, the, her approach in terms of how she s- speaks. That's fine. But what I'm saying is you are either going to fight like you need to fight or it's not going anywhere and we're just going to waste more time.
1: She'll definitely get all the anti-Biden votes in the party. There's a
0: lot of them out there. Yeah.
1: No, she'll get that. The truth is, is that most people don't participate in primaries in general. Voter turnout is exceptionally low and it won't be enough And let's just
0: leave on this idea of the fact that they have completely changed the primary around to make South Carolina the first state and they... This is the only thing, if I'm Marianne, that I would be banking on right now. The fact that you have pissed off New Hampshire so badly that they might just rally behind her just to give an you to the party, that is the only way that she could garner real momentum. Is that possible? It's lightning in a bottle, but that's the only thing you could hope for. It's a small enough state. You can run your whole way through it. And much like Buttigieg put all his money in Iowa, if I am thinking like Mary, if I'm advising Marianne, I'm putting all my money in New Hampshire because the people already there don't like Biden to begin with. Now they've added the extra layer of the Democratic Party has taken what has been the first in the nation for over 70 years just because they are so willing to be transparently corrupt, and we have to really end this discussion regarding how everyone's like, oh, the Republicans just uh, cheat the electoral process. It's it sucks both ways. No two ways about it. And that's what you got to look at. That's uh, uh, yeah. That that's that's the deal. I so. just
1: honestly, I just hate to see resources wasted. And and guys, have. make no mistake that I actually do support campaigns even when the idea isn't to necessarily win because it creates further momentum and service and the community and whatever. But that's really only something that works locally or in congressional level where you can create communities and and support networks based on your campaign that keep going forward. When you do it on the presidential level and you're doing it as the grassroots candidate, you're siphoning a lot of resources from around the country from working people in theory, um, that would be better used in more viable races uh, that would serve them better. And so I, I just, to me, I, I, I'm not a fan of the whole thing. I think it's, but I think it's a vanity project. So there is And that. at the
0: end of the day, it's, uh, yeah, we're all ready for an outsider, Canelo. We agree with you. You know what, you. I, but I the outsider
1: needs to be somebody coming up from labor or from the grassroots or somebody with any amount of qualification. I, I nominate Chris Smalls. Yeah. I mean, just somebody with some amount of qualifications. Being on Oprah is not a qualification. Writing a book about someone else's book is not a qualification. And I just I, I think that people are looking for some sort of savior, just like they do with. And, you know, first of all, politicians should not be your saviors. No. And second of all, you know, as desperately as we want somebody that doesn't make it be so you can you, you, you square peg round hole.
0: Remember to like, subscribe, share, do all those wonderful things we ask you guys to do all the time because we know you guys are super awesome supporters. You know, even though our show gets shadow banned, it is really great to see Travers, Dirtbag, Metalopoly, Colonella. All different. You guys have been, but you guys have been sticking around for two hours and those... That, you know, We may not have a huge following, but we have a committed following, yes. and we're very appreciative of that. So be on the lookout for some really great clips. Also, our shorts are making us uh, grow our channel a little exactly. bit. Exactly. The parliamentarian
1: you know, is infinitely more qualified to run for president. Minutes. Maybe
0: the parliamentarian should run for
1: president. I'm not kidding. So,
0: like, subscribe, share, do all those wonderful things. Remember, on Monday, workers Strike Back Wednesday, Nikki Fried an Amazing Atheist. We'll see you next week.
1: Bye, guys.